Coming to you live from my apartment, it's Rob has a podcast and now here's the guy who could complete the roadblock of putting together the nine piece podcast set up like nothing. I am Rob's sister, Nina. Hello everybody and welcome back to our amazing race 31 finale recap. We've got a lot to get to here today. Two hours of amazing race, which ended up seeing Colin and Christy become the amazing race reality star showdown champs narrowly edging out Tyler and Corey and not so narrowly edging out the Afghanimals. And we were here to talk about everything that's going on. Of course, let's bring in our chief amazing race correspondent, Jessica Lee. Jessica, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. I'm so excited to talk about all of this. I mean, I would say a seven nation army couldn't hold me back. <laughs> Greatest riff of all time, of all time. Okay. Also to join us, a man who uh, always is up for some uh, riffs, whether they're from Jack White or not. Uh, Here is the great Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? I prefer my Mike White riff over those pesky Jack White riffs, personally, (laughs) in their amazing race theming. Are you a fan of Jack White? (laughs) <laughs> you fan of Jack White? Yeah, yeah. You like Seven Nation Army? Yeah, yeah. How about his last album? Sorry, I, I, I do not have the reference of any other uh, White Stripes music. Sorry about that. Remember that? Remember that time when he thought he we were it was his sister, but he was actually dating his band member. Did you like that? Are you a fan of that? Okay, all right. We are way off the track here. <laughs> much much like uh, much like Leo with the safe uh, with uh, <laughs> this finale recap. Of course, uh, speaking of Leo and our final three teams. We have recaps with the three teams that or sorry, we have interviews with the three teams that made it to the final three in this amazing race finale. So I'm very excited for you to listen to those interviews with the three finalists on our amazing race finale interview special that is up at Rob has a website dot com. Uh, sadly, uh, as I mentioned in uh, that podcast, uh, we will not be hearing from the fourth place team. We were supposed to talk to them on Friday, but I received a word that uh, they are uh, not going to come on this podcast to uh, talk about this. And uh, we're not going to spend too much time uh, speculating why. But uh, we have our final three teams uh, up on robiswebster.com and our podcast feed. All right, Jess, uh, your headline as uh, we are about a little less than 24 hours after this amazing race finale. Um, I think I'm going to go full Wiggler here. Best season ever. Don't at me. Wow. Wow. Well, I... Jess, I feel like that much like Phil talked about the amazing race purists back in the beginning of the season. Is that is this a scorching hot take? I I don't think it's that hot a take. I think it was a great season. I think it spoke to everybody who came into it. I mean, we there are some flaws and we will talk a little bit about some of the weaker points. I think casting may have could have been better. Uh, I think there are a couple of legs where we could have moved things around a little bit. But let's be honest, we had such a strong final four Mm -hmm. and we had incredible story arcs for every single one of those teams coming in. And we had a finish that was 
it was a real nail biter. Like either one of those teams could have pulled it out. And you really didn't know right up until the point where a team rolled out of that task. And it was even, from what I understand, it was even more intense in the moment, which I think we'll get into when we talk about this. But I think... I have no complaints about this finale. This is easily one of the most exciting finales I've ever watched. And I will be fair. There was a large chunk of about 20 seasons in there where I didn't really watch a finale so mm-hmm. much as like have it on in the background while a hundred people were screaming <laughs> around me. Mm-hmm. So it's a different thing for me to watch it at home. But this was great. This was, this had everything I want out mm-hmm. of a finale and I think it was a great capper on a really strong season. And I hope that everybody that came in from all the different reality realms is going to stick around for the next season. Okay. And what, what Jess is not revealing is that in those 20 seasons, she spent those years at Jack White concerts. And that's why she had to watch the finales amongst throngs of screaming people and playing drums at mass volume. I'm too old for the yeah, White exactly. Stripes, Mike. Wow. yeah (laughs) Uh, all right so let's uh get your opinion mike on the big amazing race finale i guess i'll sort of match jess's take with my own hyperbolic one because i don't know if i go so far as to say best season ever i thought it was extremely well done and i think pound for pound this might be one of the most entertaining casts that we have seen on on amazing race in quite some time here's my don't at me take colin and christy Best returnee arc of all reality show history. Don't wow. at me. Yep. Best returnee it's, arc. I need the 100 emoji. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that maybe the closest that we would get to it would be if Jerry Manthe were to win Survivor Heroes versus Villains, or if you had Sari winning Survivor Game Changers, in terms of it's the perfect combination of this was very, very, very long in the tooth. This was 15 years in the making. It was taking care of some unfinished business, but doing it in a completely different way than the first time we saw these people. And the way that they... It was a a slow, slow bird. Unlike their... Yeah, their tempers were burning quite hot. Uh, quite the opposite. This one was much more of a a trail of uh, of gunpowder leading to the final big kaboom. And I think that this leg, which I'm gonna, sure we're going to talk about, really represents how far they've come in terms of their temperament and reacting to you know when the you know push came to shove and the stakes really became the highest they've ever been. How they reacted to those things in the moment. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to call their storyline beautiful in how everything coalesced here in the two-hour finale. There are some things that I'll definitely quibble with here. I will say that I thought the penultimate leg was awesome. I thought the final leg had some interesting stuff, but I was still not a huge fan of, you know, how everything exactly played out, even if it was super exciting at the end. I still immensely enjoyed this season, and I immensely, immensely enjoyed these winners, especially comparing it, you know, 15 years prior and thinking about, an, uh, you know, a, a 15-year-old Mike Bloom there sitting on the couch, no, not wondering, you know, when this team is going to come back and win, and having them do it in such an unorthodox fashion is just remarkable. Mike, what are you saying? You're not a big falling guy? Uh, you know what? I don't. I, I, I'm more on the bowling side than the football side. Folding seems like something you would do when you and your cousins are bored at a family event while the adults are inside getting drunk, and you're like, "Oh, we got a football. We got some like Fisher Price bowling pins. Let's play some folding." It might become like if, if basketball ever got a sequel. I feel like it would have been called folding. Yeah. Just how impractical is folding? 
it it seems like it seems like it's very dangerous. I feel like there's really potential for that ball to come right back at you. Yeah, I, 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 if you were going to really do it, I feel like that each falling alley needs to be sort of walled off because I mean, <laughs> well, I guess we'll save it for when we get to the know it alternate uh, universe. But I think that there's a very strong likelihood that somebody else's uh, falling ball is going to be knocking over the pins of the uh, next lane. <laughs> Wow, what a prolific foaler Stephen <laughs> Fishback is. Yes. I mean, we're going to get into foal. it because this this whole like set of legs felt designed for Stephen Fishback, but we'll get into it once as we go through. Okay. All right. So, I guess uh let's talk through leg number 11 uh and uh talk about a leg that uh the Afghanimals were looking to reverse the curse, Jess. And it seems like they succeeded. And I think Mike has pointed out that there is a lot of beauty in Colin and Christie's story. But I want to point out, I think there was a big reckoning for all three of the final three teams. And I think the Afghanimals mm. starts here because the Afghanimals were contending with this leg 11 curse because they felt a lot of pressure to do better than they did before. And they knocked this leg out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this finale, I thought, was a, uh, a a really great microcosm of the Afghanimals because, uh, Mike, yeah. as, as we've talked about uh, at various points this season, they are like the ultimate boomer bust team. Yeah. I mean, they are, they run hot or cold. There is no medium temperature there. And we saw it over the course of these two hours where, you know, first leg here in London, I don't know what it is about, you know, whether or not their juju just completely goes in a good direction when they're in a country where they had such bad luck beforehand, but they were doing everything right in London, as we're about to talk about. As as soon as they went to that taxi stand, they never looked back and finished in first place for the first time since back in April. And then they get to Detroit and it all falls apart again. (laughs) I totally agree with you, Rob, that I think it's just a great representation of just the highs and lows that this team, which is the most like veteran team outside of Rachel on this season, surprisingly had compared to these one timers and two timers, though. Jess, you make a great point. I really do feel like especially talking in all three of these amazing race final teams, they all sort of left with their heads held high because they all sort of had a merit badge to pin on their Amazing Race Scouts uniform. You know, Colin and Chrissy obviously got the win. Tyler and Corey did better than they did before and didn't, you know, go out in a, in a fashion where they got stuck in one task like the Afghanimals. And the Afghanimals actually made the finale. So it actually was sort of like a net positive finale for everyone, even if only one team won. Well, yeah, exactly. I I think and I think the Afghanimals, it was almost like they kind of released a pressure valve one leg too soon. Mm-hmm. And they were so happy to have done an amazing leg. It was like whatever happened after that almost didn't even matter. Yeah, it was a great leg for the Afghanimals, Justin, a great leg for Winston Churchill also. Yeah. And you know what? I had to actually look this up. Um, I went back into I still have a folder of like all the old recaps I used to write of Amazing Race. And I went back and found the picture of Phil with the greeter from the Britain leg in season 25, just to make sure it wasn't the same Winston Churchill. Yes. Was it a different Winston Churchill impersonator? Different Winston Churchill impersonator. Oh, come on, Amazing Race. Oh. Be, be better than that. I, I tweeted the exact same joke from The Office about how I'm 95% sure that's not the real Winston Churchill. <laughs> I did that back in 2012, and I did it again. Yes. Was it John Lithgow the first time? 
<laughs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, it might have been. <laughs> yeah, it was Jean Lithgow the first time, French Stewart this time. They're, oh. they're going down the, oh. the, the, the cast list of Third Rock from the Sun. That's only they, what they can afford in Amazing Race 31 budgetary standards. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I guess uh, they're going to go for uh, a big name the third time they come to London. Yeah, Wayne Knight is going to be a great Winston <laughs> Churchill. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, so we had to go to this castle. Just well, what's what's the name of this place? Um, isn't that Dover Castle? Dover Castle, and yeah, that's uh, what it is. So this was I, I thought was a fun task. I, I told Leo that I, I really loved how serious Leo took the task. He was like the one person who seemed to understand the gravity of the Nazis invading. I think he was also the only person to understand the task. Like, he explained this so quickly and so complicated. I think it confused, I don't know about you guys, it confused me at first between, you know, finding the first and 15th and 30th word in the speech and then alphabetizing the where the letters appear and then putting them in order and where they appear in the phrase and then arranging them like right. i understood the start the start product and the finished product but again i feel like the past two legs ever since we got to croatia they really ramped up the difficulty in this leg and this is one big sign of it because i, I feel like a usual amazing race roadblock would have like one or two of these steps but the fact that they had to do like three of these in a row just infinitely complicated it more much to christy's chagrin well, I love it when they make the tasks more complicated. Yeah. I I always think, and you know, if I were running The Amazing Race, I'm sure I would be perfectly satisfied with the level of difficulty. But when I'm watching it, there's so many times where we're sitting there, we're like, why isn't this like 20% harder? And I think they have heard our concerns and we have manifested this. We put this out in the universe and they brought us this ridiculously difficult leg from start to finish, starting with this great code challenge. It was almost like I wanted to freeze it and try to solve the thing myself. Well, it was almost impossible to be like trying to play along and figure it out with them you just had to sort of like you know take their word for it that they were making progress or like okay sure sound sounds good but there was no chance you could play along with this jess no you could play along with parts of it i think once you get the words once you get the the neville chamberlain speech part Mm -hmm. i think you could freeze that worksheet that they were doing and I think you could figure it out if you really, really wanted to. And I'm sure somebody out there that loves this show more than I did probably did this. <laughs> yeah. But I was I was kind of disappointed that I it was getting late. I was trying to catch up to everybody else so I could be semi live twitting and I didn't really want to get into it. But I sort of like I, I love that kind of puzzle. And I, I think I would have had a lot of fun doing it along with them. OK. All right. So Leo did not have any problems with this, but it seemed like that the other teams uh, struggled in uh, varying degrees. Uh, We saw Corey and Christy working together, Mike. And this was something that was uh, an interesting point that Leo brought up in my interview with him that uh, he attributed uh, Tyler and Corey not winning to Corey helping out uh, Christy. Uh, Do you buy that? I mean, it's really tough because I think we've seen a lot of that across the Internet today. And I wonder if part of that is coming from like our survivor and big brother mentality where we have seen people take specific people to the final two to sit against. And when it becomes a faction of, okay, you have to vote for me or you have to vote for this person, you can see the mistakes show on their face. Uh, You know, I I know I talked to Tyler and Corey about the decision that they ultimately made, not only here, but especially 
helping Colin and Christy assemble their garish-looking display uh, at Camden Market later on. Uh, and I, I can see where they're coming from, where it's a little bit of the Coach Wayne mentality of, like, we want to beat the best. You know, we, we built this really great relationship with them throughout where we were helping each other. I felt it only right that we take each other. But Tyler and Corey also made a great point where they brought up that in Season 28, they kind of went to the finale with two layup teams, and they came in third. And I think that's just a big sign of how, you know what, it doesn't really matter what the previous 11 legs are. Leg 12 is the only one that matters. And if you're performing crappy on that day, it doesn't matter if you came in first the previous 11 legs, you're going to come in third no matter what. And I wonder if Tyler and Corey just had that mentality of like, it doesn't really matter who we go against because it's only going to depend on our specific performance. And so I think from that perspective, they didn't necessarily care about who they were going against. And that's why they decided to help their friends that were you know, had a deep-seated relationship with. Jess, how do you feel? Yeah, I thought that was really a smart thing when I when I heard Tyler and Corey talking about that with you. It was just like it seems like yeah, it there's not there's not the same push because you don't have to have everybody else that was playing the game with you decide who's going to win. You get to decide who's going to win ultimately because it's down to how well you do and like it's how the race course is organized and how you perform on the tasks. And there's really at a certain point, you know, you're going to do the best and you could have somebody along who's a little bit less good than you, but by the final four, everybody's good. Everybody has the potential to win. And we've seen some teams win that are real head scratchers. So including the ones that beat Tyler and Corey the first time out. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. And I thought it was, I thought it was a really, interesting way of putting it and i think one of the things that has been kind of downplayed that i think really came across uh listening to slash reading their exit interviews is they were colin and christy and tyler and Corey were very very close throughout the whole season and they worked together they were accustomed to working together and at a certain point it was almost like they're not gonna they're not gonna split off from that they're going to continue to work together and it's like in that position where you're in a room and you both have to do the same task, it's going to be really, really hard to say, oh, I'm not going to help you anymore because we're competing now. I And I think also Colin and Christy seem like they have this kind of magnetism to them. It's like this weird, like you're immediately drawn to them. I think everybody wants to help them. Now, I don't remember exactly what we saw Corey tell Christy, but... I, it seemed like she had to go back to square one almost and uh, complete like it wasn't like he gave her the answer and it was one of these things that where she was good. I mean, she must have been there, uh, you know, for a considerable amount of time after Corey left Jess. So I don't think it was necessarily like as straightforward as, OK, he gave them the help they needed and then they ultimately came back and won. It seemed like that she was able to figure it out and whatever help he gave was not that helpful for her yeah well it looked like she was kind of in a place and i think we saw leo do the same thing in the next leg where her brain was telling her you did all of things right and she had to go back and start from scratch and redo it um and it turned out that ultimately whatever Corey was giving her was not that helpful but Mm -hmm. you see them continue to help each other throughout the rest of the leg but i yeah i think i as i understand it, it was like 
she was 90 minutes behind everybody else at that point. Yeah. Mike, I, I have to give Victor uh, a lot of credit also because I, I thought that he was uh, really impressive uh, again here where he comes in, nobody's working with him, and he ended up uh, getting through uh, before the teams that were working together. Yeah, I give him a lot of kudos as well. And we've seen this a few times in these past seasons. I mean, last season is a great example of it where we had that three-team alliance sort of try to ice out Team Yale. And Team Yale, you know, ends up kicking their butts in that penultimate leg. It just sort of goes to show, I and mean, we've seen that with the Beekmans as well, that like, just because if you're pushing that group mentality, again, it's, it's different than Big Brother or Survivor because it doesn't necessarily come down to that. It comes to individual performance, and it shows how great of a team and a teammate Victor was that he was able to push through a really complicated, convoluted task without you know, relying on any uh, discourse with anybody. And I would say that, I mean, I think Chrissy had to start over because this poor man told her that what she was producing was complete gibberish. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little extra. Uh, Chrissy told me in the exit interview that he also then took the paper and like crumpled it up into a ball and threw it. He said in the episode, like, this is complete gibberish. Could you imagine if he was like, well, the Nazis have won. You did it. Congratulations. You ruined it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, okay, everybody's able to uh, get through that. We head down to uh, Piccadilly Circus. Uh, Jess, uh, Piccadilly Circus, I- I've heard. What, what is Piccadilly Circus? It's like a flea market? Well, you're... We're skipping over a whole bunch. Oh, now. what did we skip? Yeah, we you're, you're confusing Piccadilly Circus and Camden Market. Okay. Um, Piccadilly Circus is basically, it's like London's Times Square. Got it. Right mm-hmm. down to like the big neon signs. And then they have this woman who's dressed as a statue. She's one of those living statue people. And she gives them the next clue, pointing them to the detour. Okay. Okay. I remember I, I went to, I, I know Jess has been uh, to London. I went when I was 18 years old and I have a I had a memorable story in Piccadilly Circus where I danced with a busking man named Showboy and performed with him for a good hour uh, just to get some random change on the side of the street during a school trip. Okay. Uh, that would be a detour <laughs> of a different kind to uh, explore yeah. that here tonight. Let's talk. Yeah, about- I think I'd rather take that over no and or right yeah, personally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would be the rhyming word for that, Mike? Show. Uh, let's see. Uh, toe, yeah. like toe tapping. Yeah. Okay. Uh, either one. That's fine. All right. Let, let's talk about the detour. We did see no or row. Uh, we had either no, where the teams had to memorize a very complicated taxi route around london or row which on the surface looked uh, straightforward enough but as uh, we saw from all of the teams that attempted it uh it was going to be very complicated uh just what do you make of no or row uh well i think i have a lot of opinions about both sides of the detour here um and i can start it off by saying that here's another weird thing i have some experience with Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I didn't drive a London taxi cab, um, but I did row for a semester in high school and I was very bad at it. I ended up rage quitting it in the middle of the semester. But you called uh, it. Yeah, I, I basically I was like, my skull is broken. This is BS. And I ran <laughs> off. Um, but it is. I think the fewer people you have in the boat the harder the boat is to balance. And one thing that 
is kind of apparent about rowing is you have to have some incredible stability and core strength. And I think as hard as everybody was working out, I think if they'd gotten that technical side of it, they all had the strength to get through this. And one thing that I saw a lot of people erroneously calling people out on on the Twitter over the last 24 hours is they were absolutely flabbergasted at the way that Colin and Christie tackled this. And to them, I want to say the hardest thing about this rowing task would not have been necessarily the strength or even the balancing the boat and not tipping it over. But the fact that in order to make the boat go, you have to be in perfect sync with each other. And I think that's what the that's what the task was really testing in the end. And so Colin and Christy basically Kobayashi marooned it by saying, well, OK, Colin has the strength to move the boat himself. We'll just have Christy hold the oars up in the air and have him do all the rowing. It's not because she's weak. It's not because she's screwing it up. It's because getting the two of them to go in perfect sync and to pick that up on the fly was going to be very difficult. Mm hmm. And so I think it was very smart what they did. And I don't think yeah. it's any slight on Christie's perceived ability to perform the task. I think that's just the fastest way you could get it done. Yeah. It's no coincidence they were the only team to complete it while everyone else was, you know, fumbling in the water. I totally agree. And, and I think there's been some unfortunate appropriation to teammates like Chrissy and Nicole saying like, oh, they're the quote unquote dead weight of the team. They wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the teammates. But I mean, we're about to talk about the final leg where Colin and Christy pretty much won. Colin attributes the win on the mat to Christy being able to calm them down and be able to, you know, see the forest for the trees. So I think that you know, we might paint with a broad brush sometimes, but I think it really does show that, you know, a team is made up of two people for a reason. And I think that they chose a great strategy. They sort of broke the boat, as it were, whereas everybody else, I think, uh, got a little too fumbled as they were trying to figure out actually how to roll the skull with two people. And that's why it was so complicated. All right. So the Afghanimals were the first team to attempt to row. And just I, I thought that Leo really does uh, take on the persona of the cat where uh, that, uh, that there was a fear of like, ah, I could be in the water. Ah, I, I, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's channeling Pablo there. He was freaking out, so they had to go and switch over to the other side of the detour. So they'd be the first team uh, to do that. Uh, we saw Nicole and Victor get there, and then also uh, Tyler and Corey uh, got there. And Mike, I thought that uh, I mentioned this in my exit interview with Tyler and Corey, but uh, that for them to have worked so hard on their physical fitness and then here to have this, OK, they're so close to the end. All we have to do is just muscle through this. I, I thought that that was very brave for them to walk away from this task. Yeah, I mean, I think they have been very smart in terms of the tasks that they've chosen. They've been very methodical. I think that's what's informed the choice that they made. I think they, maybe more than any team this season, were very much uh, eager to try a task out once, look at it and say, okay, can we really do this? And then move on. And I think we also found out one of their, uh, one of their you know, big fortes, or at least uh, Corey's big forte is memorization tasks. Mm -hmm. So we see once they once again that taxi cab, even though they fail for the first time, it's just like the poem where they say, "Oh yeah, we can totally do this." So I wonder if it was to your point, they saw something physical. They said, "Let's brute force it." When they see it's much more nuanced and skillful uh, than that, they say, "Okay, well, we can do memorization, so we can hop over." It wasn't exactly you know hopping from something they're proficient in to something that they know absolutely nothing about. It was two skills that they possessed. It's just one was probably a more. Uh, 
a little more complicated than the other one. Jess, is that just like an instinct of knowing when to make the switch on these detours? Yeah, I I think so. I I think I think we've talked a lot about like how do you know when it's time to switch? And I think if you try it once and it seems impossible and you don't think you're going to get any better at it, I think that's when you cut bait. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make that decision pretty quickly so you don't lose too much time. And I think with something, it is interesting because when you look at these at first blush, you would you would think that the rowing was the brute force task of the two. And I think that's kind of where Tyler and Corey's minds went was like, we'll go do this one that's all strength. But as it turns out, the rowing was kind of the smart task and the knowing was the stupid task because it was kind of the rote memorization and it's very straightforward. Whereas when you're rowing, you have to know like when to flip the oar and how not to get it too deep and to be in perfect sync with each other. There's a lot of technique and a lot of finesse on that. And if you're not going to be able to get that right away, you're better off doing the one where you can just bang it out. Okay. So we end up with then a couple of the teams uh, making the switch with Tyler and Corey and Nicole and Victor all heading over to no. It takes a long time for Colin and Christy to uh, get over to row, but they're, they're the one team that doesn't switch. Uh, Mike, did you like that from a strategic standpoint of having to make up so much time for Colin and Christy to hang in there while everybody switched? Yeah, because you would think on paper that's not the thing to do, right? Because you would say, okay, you want to hang around the other teams because they did technically catch up. And again, a really fantastic moment and a nice microcosm of how much Colin and Christy's relationship has changed is, you know, Christy, to her point, does mess up this roadblock. She's crying in the helicopter thinking that, okay, there's a chance that we might be out of the money right now. And, you know, Colin, he just sends her positive thoughts, puts their Mm -hmm. foreheads together and just sort of feels the love. I feel like season five, Colin would have ripped his backpack in half had he heard that Christie got him in last place. But it really just shows how much 15 years have, have changed him. But I think once they got there and they figured out their method pretty quickly, I think they, it was sort of like the opposite of Tyler and Corey, where they said, okay, we know we can just do this in a few tries. And so they decided to stay there. And as a result, I think that's what kept them in the race. I would argue that I think Victor and Nicole lost right there and then when they decide to switch tasks just because the other one was equally if not more long and complicated that it didn't necessarily better than that much so that by the time they got to Camden Market they were so far behind the other three. So just do you agree that if Nicole and Victor stayed on the row task that they could have avoided being eliminated? Well Rob I think the interesting thing to ponder is what if Nicole and Victor stay at the rowing task. They see how Colin and Christy knock the task out and they copy them and do the exact same thing. I mean, Victor's definitely got the strength to do it. I wonder how that would have changed the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, do we know how many times it took them to get through the taxi task? Did, Did it say on the screen? I don't remember it saying on the screen. I remember... I think it was it was at least four. Yeah. I want to say, but I think it was more than that. Um, I didn't write it down. Okay. Uh, I I do think that they expect everybody. They expected everybody to have to do that route multiple times, and I think the thing Tyler and Corey said was that they got it in three, three. tries, and that was kind of mind blowing to everybody. Yeah. So 
I'm going to say it was more tries for everybody else. Mike, what did you think of the new look that we got from Victor on this leg of the race where we've seen a lot of man bun Victor here? But uh, this was Victor letting his hair down on this final leg of the race. Well, it's definitely a noticeable hat. I will give him that. Uh, I'm, li- I'm liking Victor <laughs> as like primal newsy look. You know, I, yeah. it was. I mean, I it's guess you know, BB twenty one Jack esque. <laughs> oh no, let's not let's not make those comparisons uh, on day two. Considering some of the things that have went down in the Big Brother live feeds, I think he wants to stay stay away from that with a ten foot skull. But this this no side of the detour was so interesting. I always love it when they really dive into random intricacies of culture, especially British culture, with the droll cab drivers giving the tour of the area. This is also like, I feel like one of those tasks where they could be like, these damn millennials, they don't know how to do directions. All they know is Waze and Google Maps. They can even memorize 15 locations and seven main attractions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's who the taxi drivers are, are taking on the millennials that are uh, not not learning the directions by map yeah i mean they didn't get it in uber so i think that says everything yeah <laughs> okay all right uh jess so all right next stop is this is this finally the piccadilly circus is that is that officially where we are now um i think piccadilly circus was where they got the detour clue okay so what is this um, place Camden Market is the next part. Okay. I, I want to add one more thing about the taxi drivers. Yes. Um, which is something that uh, I, I want to do a little bit of a deep pull here. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Up documentary series. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one came out yes, in the 60s. No, I saw that with the, the, the guy who he had the house with the balloons. No, 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 no. Different different movie okay um the first one is called seven up and then there's 14 up and uh 21 up and 28 up and every seven years this documentary crew has gone through and interviewed all of these people who were children when they were first interviewed in the 60s and every seven years it checks in with them and talks about like what what their life is and there was one kid who ended up becoming a london taxi driver And there is a whole segment about how he had to learn and he had to pass this ridiculously complicated test in order to become a cab driver. And I believe he still is nominally a cab driver today. I think the last movie that came out was 56 Up. Mm -hmm. And so everything I know about London taxi cabs comes from watching Tony in the Up series learning how to become a taxi driver. So are we calling is, is the amazing is the amazing race 31? Should we call that 15 up for Colin and Christy? <laughs> yeah, we totally. check in with them every 15 years. Um, so that uh, it's a movie every seven years. Yeah, a movie comes out every seven years. OK. Wow. And uh, it's it's fascinating. Like anybody that's got a whole bunch of time to kill and needs a new binge. Uh, these are worth checking out. OK. All right. It's like uh, it's like boyhood. It's kind of like boyhood. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, int- interesting. I- I'm going to d- make uh, a podcast series like this where I'll, I'll, I'll podcast once every seven years. Put it on the wheel. All right. Put it on the wheel. Okay. All right. So uh, the teams are now, uh, they they get to the mat. The, the Afghanimals get to the mat. And then Phil has a, a little curveball like, hey, here's a clue. And uh, you have more stuff to do. Here's a scavenger yeah, like- hunt. 
a curved football, if you will, that he threw at the pins of these teams. So, yeah, I mean, Jess, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've really received uh, a moment before in Amazing Race history where they get to the mat and Phil gives them a surprise extra task to do. But I thought this was a super interesting way to sort of combine the shopping tasks that we all know and love from Amazing Race seasons past and we actually had before with the... Uh, the Rolex task that really did Janelle and Brittany in to just combine with some ridiculous things to make up this this whole display, specifically going into the neon rave store and buying the best pair of purple platform shoes I've ever seen. Hmm. Yeah, I want those shoes. Those are fantastic. <laughs> um, but I thought I think that it's interesting. This is a kind of this is a variety of tasks we've seen before a lot of times. Um, I'm remembering specifically there's a lot of shout outs to season 25, I feel like, in these these couple of legs with the Winston Churchill guy. And also they had the task in Denmark where they had to build the parklet and teams kept getting stuck and stuck and stuck on like the flower pot was facing the wrong way. I thought this was going to be that, but I think it's really interesting. We have had the clue say in the past, find Phil at the mat, but usually what that means is it's not a pit stop but you're going to keep racing. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of that, but it's like, you're going to keep racing for 30 more minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, threw everybody off. Got to go around and find a bunch of random things, find a tea kettle, find a drum, find a trunk, find a carpet, uh, find big purple shoes. And so everybody was uh, running around. Uh, it seems like it's very easy to shoplift here, Mike. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out in the open. I don't know if people were really missing their corsets and their giant trunks that much if they just let random people, random Americans come in and take them without anybody really uh, paying heed. Yeah, nobody seemed too alarmed that these people are just like coming through and grabbing things and then running away. Well, everything had a tag on it. Oh, I guess so. Um, I mean, but if I was like a customer in the store, what do I know that what the Amazing Race tag is? Like, hey, I think people just stole something. Oh, come on, Rob. Everybody that was at Camden Market that day knew exactly what was going on. Now, not to get too fourth wally here, but the cameramen were working really, really hard to make sure you didn't have somebody in the background of every single shot holding up their phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. for, is fourth wally the documentary sequel to Up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 That's the remake that they shouldn't have made after the trilogy was done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, then uh, we started to see uh, teams eventually check in. Uh, Leo and Jamal were team number one and uh, officially reversed the curse, Jess. Yeah, that was great. And I think I feel like that's the bow we want to put on Leo and Jamal's story. I mean, <laughs> doesn't like I said, it doesn't really even matter what happens in the next leg uh, because this was just joyful to watch. Wait, did, did Winston Churchill make them do push-ups, or did they do push-ups on their own volition? I got very confused by that exchange of, of words when they were on the mat. Look, if Winston Churchill tells you to do something, you, you do, do it. it. You gotta do it. Okay, Mike, here's where I got confused. So, Tyler and Corey, they get through, and Phil says, okay, come here. We're, uh, Dad, I, I gotta tell you something. Come in, come in close. We're, we're in a public place. Uh, I have to tell you, you're, you're, you're team number two. Um, was Phil being just sort of cheeky with Tyler and Corey here? Or was there some rule of like, hey, we, we can't cause a disturbance because we're in this public place. But I just want to tell you, you're, you're team number two. 
Well, for the corner of the internet that wanted Phil Kogan ASMR, they finally got their box ticked on this episode of The Amazing Race. Uh, yeah, I Thanks, wasn't Amazing sure. Race. <laughs> I, was, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure, because I totally agree. Like, he seemed to make a big show out of it. And, you know, last episode was Phil, uh, you, know, call, you know, playing with Tyler and Corey with, like, you guys are too optimistic, you're team number two. He definitely seems like the, uh, the Connor team this season from Amazing mm-hmm. Race 30. But I guess if you go back to the Afghanimals, his voice did seem pretty low so maybe it was phil trying to not get some sort of noise complaint <laughs> maybe they didn't have a permit and they sort of snuck their okay. way into camden market i'm not entirely sure <laughs> maybe Jess, as our phil whisperer can you decipher this phil whispering um i i was too busy enjoying it in the moment is this phil humor or is this was this legit i feel like it was probably 50 50 i think that he was trying not to have it immediately posted to RFF, but I also think he was just being kind of funny. Okay. Oh, all right. So you think that the spoiler people were out there and he didn't want to really, and they're like, Hey everybody, guess what? Tyler and Corey are team number two. Uh, yeah, so- but it also almost doesn't matter because the spoiler people are going to be there and they're going to be watching who checked in first and who checked in next. Like, they're already there. They already know. So I don't know that it matters that much. Yeah. But so if the spoiler people are out there, why do a leg here in uh, this, like, uh, really big leg of the Amazing Race in such a public place? Uh, this is not going to be the least of their problems for this finale. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into this in the next leg because they had a lot of problems with this. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, I'm not a race planner or anything like that. Okay. So then uh, we ended up with uh, Colin and Christy and they never gave up. They were, real, they were really far behind, but uh, they did it. And then uh, we're going to end up and, and Phil was, again, not talking too loud, uh, has to come and tell Nicole and Victor, all right, bring it in. Uh, it's over, Mike. Yeah, I mean, and this one seemed much like we're about to see with the next leg. Uh, pretty obvious who is coming in last. I mean, I know they were, they were trying to build up a little bit of suspense, but I mean, when you have Colin and Christy pretty much finishing up their display when Nicole and Victor just got their trunk, they had a really huge deficit to overcome and not a lot of room to make up for it. So, yeah, even though Tyler and Corey did help point them towards the stylish shoes and the drum, it was pretty clear that, unfortunately, this was the end of the road for our final non-amazing race team of the season. But, Jess, for Nicole and Victor, I mean, uh, that I think there was some something to take away from this being uh, the uh, last team that was not a native amazing racing team to ultimately uh, get this far in uh, the race. So it was a, a good run for Nicole and Victor. Yeah, I think they have nothing to be ashamed of in this race. Um, they they did a fantastic job. They were a lot of fun to watch. I think they won a lot of people over. And I think everybody on this podcast really enjoyed their voyage and enjoyed watching them along the way. Yeah, they were fun. I had them in the draft. I, I could. I, I was this close to, to winning the draft that I wasn't even at. And I, that would have been amazing. Yeah. And I and I think that, you know, there definitely have been some, I would say, some legitimate arguments about the casting this season and as to whether the Survivor Big Brother teams were, you know, stood a chance against these veteran Amazing Race teams, especially considering the dominance that some of these came in with. But I would say Victor and Nicole stood by far 
the best chance of it happening. And maybe we can talk down the line as to how we thought Victor and Nicole would do in the final leg. But, I mean, their average is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. And the fact that they were able to hold their own against some of the biggest and most bombastic teams in Amazing Race history and still emerge with not even a consistent relationship, but a stronger relationship, so much so that Victor proposed like three months later, I think definitely says something about the two of them. Okay. Anything else on uh, Nicole and Victor here at the final four? Ready to move on to Detroit? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Our final leg is uh, to Detroit and uh, it's off to Michigan. We find out that it is a, uh, the stomping grounds of Tyler and Corey. Mike, if, if you're one of the other teams, does that drive you nuts when it's like, what? Oh, oh their hometown? Great. To be fair, it wasn't their hometown. They're both from Michigan, I believe. State. Yeah, and, and Tyler did say, you know, he's been to Detroit a few times, but mostly through the airport. So I feel like there's a difference between that and, like, what the Beekmans were able to utilize in season 21. But, I mean, also, we talk about, the, you know, hometown blessings, but more so, more often than, uh, than not, and Jess can speak to this as well. I think there's more of a hometown curse. We saw this all the way back in season one where Frank and Margarita, who I believe, uh, you know, lived in Queens, ended up losing in essentially their own neighborhood. So it doesn't necessarily Mm. pretend well when you land in an area that you were familiar with, considering that you're not doing things that you were familiar with. Jess, do we have a five hole like term for that? Um, I don't think we do. I think we just call it the hometown <laughs> curse. And I think it has come up. I remember us distinctly talking about this, I would say, back in um, the Bates and Anthony era, where we <laughs> yes. discussed the salad we discussed days. The fact that, yes, back <laughs> uh, the good old days of Bates and Anthony, where one of them had played professional hockey in Washington, D.C., which was the last stop. And did that help them? And we couldn't even tell if it helped them. <laughs> I think it's a mixed bag. <laughs> But I do think sometimes hubris can get the better of you if you're going someplace that you've been a lot. Like, I think Frank and Margarita is the classic example of that. But I also think if you play it smart, it can help you. And also, if it's just like the big crumbling city that your airport is in and you don't actually go anywhere in the city, it's not going to help you that much. Yeah. Mike, I thought that uh, there was some poetry here uh, from Colin when he talked about last time we did the race, we had youth on our side. Now we have wisdom. Is that the newest Survivor season? Youth versus wisdom. <laughs> youth versus wisdom. Well, I think that that was probably Survivor. Nicaragua, Nicaragua. too. <laughs> <laughs> is it 15 years yet from Nicaragua? Yeah. It's pretty, uh, well, yeah, Fabio is real zen now. Yeah, he's on, he's on the wisdom side. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe uh, d- just a little dubiously so. But the medallion of power has now turned into a crystal. Like, we're, we're going fully into that now that Colin and Chrissy have taken over Survivor. <laughs> okay. Uh, just also uh, worth noting, the Afghanimals hold all the longevity records on The Amazing Race. Should Are we wondering now, is this the new curse, Jess? Once you get the record for longevity in The Amazing Race, you're doomed to fail? Um, well, maybe. I I don't know. I don't think correlation implies causation here, Rob. I think they just, it it wasn't their day. All right. What are you going to do? So for the teams, they arrived in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and uh, they had to uh, head on over to the spirit of Detroit. Uh, Jess, 
it seemed like that there was a, a lot of taxi cab issues that were going on, especially for Colin and Christy. I didn't understand why couldn't Colin and Christy end up getting a different cab driver on this leg of the race? Is this one of these things where they get saddled with a, a taxi for the entire leg and they can't lose it or they don't want to lose it? Well, I want to hear Mike's take on this because I was a little confused at what was going on here as well, because we usually see some drama like that with taxis. Like we have seeing teams in the final leg dump their taxi and get in a different one or steal somebody else's taxi. Um, I'm thinking of season 27 specifically. There's a lot of taxi roulette mm-hmm. happening there. But I think what may have happened here is Colin and Christie seemed like they were the only team that still had all of their bags with them in the final leg and it looks like maybe they had their bags in the trunk of the cab and that was why they didn't give up the cab but i'm not totally sure i i was having a hard time following all the particulars of this so i hope mike can help me break it down yeah that i believe so as well i don't know if they had their bag bag it seems like they might have uh downgraded to a smaller bag i don't know if they shopped at camden market a little bit after the pit stop and bought some new bags but uh they may have upgraded to that i know that you know, it's been a, a tradition, like a secret, an, an, a secret item on the menu for Amazing Racers is to check your bags at the airport during the final leg because you don't necessarily need them. That's what helped Brooke and Scott really get off to a blazing start in season 29. So I'm surprised that Colin and Christy didn't do that. But at the same time, that's what uh, left their bags in the cab of poor Akbal, Akbal the, uh, the taxi driver, who... The other thing that happened is, you know, Colin and Christie were in third place at the time, so they got out and decided to run to the Spirit of Detroit, and I think they thought they had told him to, okay, you know, make sure you park in front and we'll we'll catch up with you. I don't think Akbal got that, so he just parked somewhere random a few blocks down, and so Colin and Christie uh, lost about their lead and essentially 10 minutes of time looking for him because he didn't necessarily park where they thought he was going to. Okay. So uh, we are going up to the uh, Guardian Art Deco building, Jess. Who's good with numbers? Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a it's a beautiful building. And I think here's where, you know, we're talking. I talked a little bit about uh, there being kind of reckonings for everybody in the final three. And here's where Tyler and Corey's comes in, because we know that the reason that Tyler and Corey did not win the last time they were out is arguably because Tyler took this thrill task and kind of biffed it. And then they were never able to catch up after that. So I feel like this was real redemption for him. Mm -hmm. I just, I was also uh, happy for Leo that uh, he so badly wanted to uh, jump off the building when they were (laughs) in uh, the UAE. And uh, then it turned out it was virtual reality. I was happy for Leo that he got his wish to be able to uh, come off a building. Yeah, that face first repelling. It's no joke, although it's not the first time we've seen it on The Amazing Race. I think I think they did it in season 22 in Berlin, I want to say. But I liked the addition of an extra thing they had to look for. I think those are always much stronger tasks than just like jump up and grab the clue. Um, I think there was always, there's always an outside chance. Somebody's going to miss the numbers or somebody's going to really, really screw up some part of this. And that is indeed exactly what happened. Well, 
we everybody got through and got their numbers, but they uh, had to head down to the safe. And Mike, the safe directions uh, are going to loom large over this Layla race uh, specifically for Leo. Yeah, so let's talk about this, because I'm a bit confused as to what exactly Leo screwed up, and hopefully we can all come together about it, because I was reading the Amazing Race Reddit, and I don't think they... Th- there, was, there seems to be several mistakes that are sort of out there in the ethos as to what exactly he did wrong. I noticed that they kept focusing specifically in the first direction on the words, on the first number, which makes me believe that Leo either started on the first number, not realizing he actually had to turn to the first number those five times counterclockwise or whatever, or he was like, turned to the first number and then like turned it a bunch of times to get to the second number. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like because he didn't read those last three words on that very first step, that's what essentially cost them a million dollars or a shot at it at least. Jess, do you have an understanding of what went wrong here? Yeah, it looked like that was at least what the show wants you to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no reason to believe they would mislead us into thinking something that wasn't true. But they kept highlighting that first instruction. But I was reading those instructions and, you know, I can handle a simple combination lock. But this felt like a little bit more than that. Yeah, I got from what they kept showing us where it's like when when I used to have to open my locker in high school you had to turn it like three times, or but you you could turn it nineteen times in a row and then go to the go to the first number. But I, it seemed like that you had to maybe precisely turn it exactly five times and stop at that first number seven. And maybe Leo was going past the seven on the five times around. There's also something where like the final direction was like spin. A bunch of times and he was spinning the the dial and maybe they went spin that big old wheel that leads to the bank vault. I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, good to know that our fiduciary funds are under such stringent security measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hopefully not so many <laughs> robbers have, you know, screenshotted this and figured out how to get into every vault in Detroit. Yeah. Just what what's going on here? It looks like that we just have like a that, that is this all in one, one bank? Is this the, the 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 Amazing Race put in bank vaults? I'm guessing the Amazing Race probably. I I don't think the Guardian Building. I think this is probably very similar to we have a building in in Brooklyn called the Williamsburg Bank Building that is kind of the same thing. It was a bank at some point, and now it's luxury condos. Um, I don't think it's luxury condos in Detroit, but it's something else. Like there's probably not actual functional bank vaults in this building, but there are still bank vaults because you can't remove them. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happened here is that this bank vault, they just installed some kind of temporary locking mechanism for the purposes of the race. Um, and I don't believe that you could actually go into the Guardian building tomorrow and use those instructions to get into a bank vault and get like Scrooge McDuck's <laughs> giant swimming pool full of gold coins. No, you can't. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. No. Okay. Uh, even with the DuckTales reboot? If, we, if we've got listeners out in Detroit and they want to try this and get back to me, I, I'm all ears, but pretty sure that's not something that's just hanging out out there for people to do. What about live know-it-alls from inside the bank vault? <laughs> just make sure that thing doesn't lock behind you because oh, yeah. I think those things are airtight. That's true. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, are, are Brett and Chris triggered by DuckTales now considering all the coins that they are in a pool of water <laughs> yeah. that they have to look into? <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So Colin is going to get it. He's through a little while later. Uh, we're going to see Tyler end up getting it and he's through. But this is going to be the end of the road for the Afghanimals, at least as far as what we saw on the TV show, Mike. Yeah, we sort of get like a montage, yada, yada, yada through them completing the final leg, which I'm happy they at least let them complete the task. I would feel pretty bad for them if Phil just sort of like said, hold up, bro, at the vault and said, do you, you know, don't go any further. It doesn't really matter right now. It's not to the effect that we got in seasons one and four of a team getting to like a completely different state and just getting a clue that said so and so won the race. It's over now. You can go home. Uh, but it it was a little weird to see a team fall out of it. Granted, we have talked this entire season, particularly the back half, about how tight Tyler Corey and Colin Christie are in terms of one and two, so it only seemed appropriate and really fun that those were the two teams that were really neck and neck throughout these next few tasks for the win, but it's still never fun to see a team fall out of it so early. One of the things I loved about last season's finale is that you had that moment, that memory task, where all three teams working on the airplane at the same time and anyone could win, we unfortunately lost out on one team there, but like Jess said, uh, they they did have some 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 new records to at least uh, go by, even though they weren't actually making records later on. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like everybody could. It's like you said, everybody can go out of this race with their head held high. They've overcome something, and they all had a journey. Okay, no, we're gonna talk about, about the white stripes, Jess, not not journey. <laughs> it's different. It's a different group. Okay. So we are going to uh, head over to go foaling. And uh, boy, uh, this was so weird. It's like uh, foaling is a sport that was invented by this guy. It was like, uh, Mike, is this a thing? I, I don't I don't play it. If that's what you're asking, I'm not a common foaler. Uh, I mean, this mm-hmm. was invented by a guy who got bored during a tailgate at the Indy 500 in 2001. So I guess uh, we're nearing on two decades of foaling. Didn't realize that snuck up on us so fast. I was more interested mm-hmm. in, in uh, Mr. Mo Diggity, the instructor of the foaling academy. <laughs> yeah. Just this is like on News AF when we talk about, oh, there's a there's a new trend that's happening. And uh, Tyson uh, refers to this as uh, another broga where the two people doing something does not necessarily constitute a trend. Well, I was prepared to say, yeah, this is something that clearly a drunk guy did in his backyard, and now they're trying to make it a capital T thing. But it turns out that there is actually a building, and I guess real estate's cheap in Detroit, but there's an actual building called the Foling Warehouse, where this was all taking place, and it is set up like a real bowling alley and like real courts, and you can go there and pay money to play this thing, and they even sell beer. And it has four locations, oh, three locations with a fourth coming soon across four different states. All right. I'm going to invest in foaling. I'm going all in. Taking the world by storm. It's a growth industry. They have locations in Hamtrak, Michigan, which is where they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Cincinnati, Ohio, and coming soon to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it was uh, Tyler and Corey. Uh, they were they were getting it started. Uh, they were going uh, back and forth for a while, and then here comes Colin, and then Mike uh, Colin ends up hitting I think nine pins on the first shot. 
Of course he does. This man probably has gone foaling every day of his life. Like <laughs> I love foaling. Uh, we have a foaling alley behind the house. Grew up in Corpus Christi, foaling every day on the canals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, so so good good on him. It helped them catch up a bit because, again, they did fall from first to second uh, due to the taxi issues. But Tyler and Corey do still get out of head. I know Corey was a little resident, reticent to admit his bowling experience, but it did pay off here a bit considering he was able to score the winning uh, throw and get him and Tyler off to a lead here. Well, Jess, I was confused. Uh, I mean, imagine that. Uh, but when one side got their pins down, I, I didn't understand that it was just like whoever did it first. I, that it doesn't. It, it was so weird that not both teams had to or both sides had to knock all their pins down. Yeah, I think it was just one side had to get it down. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't think they were necessarily expecting teams to spend a great amount of time on this. Like, I think the probability that somebody was going to be there as long as Leo was at the bank vault, very slim. Yeah, I, I just thought that Mike, th- th- that was weird. Like, why not test both sides of a team in the final leg? I don't know. Maybe they had a, a limited amount of time at the folding warehouse. Maybe hey, there was like it's not cheap. Yeah, there's All like right. another party. We got a, we got a party coming it's $20 in. Twenty dollars an hour. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah, better uh, let's just coming ex- in here. <laughs> expend one side. I don't know. Maybe they they were gonna make this the other roadblock and they got rid of it because it is a little weird. I feel like this is the first time in a while that we haven't had two roadblocks in the final leg, and so much so that we're gonna talk about the lack of a memory task and how everyone was sort of expecting a second roadblock to come. So maybe this just sort of got retrofitted into yeah, you know what? Just just finish one side. Let's keep moving on. We have more of Detroit to see. Okay. So uh, the teams are going to uh, get through foaling and uh, we're going to head on over to Third Man Records, the uh, record company from Jack White. Jess, uh, did, I know you said you were too young for the White Stripes. Do we know anything about Third Man Records? I, I'm too old for the White Stripes, Rob. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I know who Jack White is, obviously. And I, I knew he had a record label. I knew he had ties to Detroit. Um, and this is, this was fine. This task was fine. It was like watching an episode of how it's made, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite shows, but you know, there, there's not much, not much to this. Mike, how much do you think one of these two tone amazing race vinyl records would go for on eBay on the next Johnny Fairplay auction? I was going to say, I think if one of the Big Brother teams touched it, it gets significantly more value. Uh, I mean, I like the look of it. I don't think there's anything recorded on it, obviously, considering that there's no music on it. So it's purely to hang up. Uh, I'd go hmm. with I go with a nice fifty dollars for one of these two tone records. Wow, that's, are you sure there's nothing on that's it? That's a lot. Did they say that? I think it's that techno amazing race remix that we ended up uh, hearing on one of the was it in Vietnam? Yeah, uh, I I would definitely know it was the dance club. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. At the silent rave. Yes, at the silent rave. Um, yeah, fifty dollars sounds about right, but I wonder if the ones that they screwed up would go for more. Hmm. Yeah, because they're rare collectibles. Okay, so it looked like it was neck and neck here, Jess, and then uh, where okay, uh, it was Colin and Christie. They they got it first, and it, I, I thought it was uh, super close. But somewhere it seemed like that Colin and Christie opened up a lot of daylight on Tyler and Corey. 
Yeah, it seemed like it. But by the time that they got to Hart Plaza to the drum task, it really could have been anybody's game mm-hmm. because of how long they were both there. I think they they got a little bit of a lead out coming out of the records, but I don't know. Ultimately, like it did feel very it did feel very exciting in the moment. And I kind of thought, oh, this must be where they pull ahead. But it was. By the time everybody's like doing the drums, it, you really didn't know what was going to happen. And there always is that moment, I think, in Amazing Race finales where one of the teams pulls ahead. And it, I think like maybe most egregiously in season 28, it was like you never even saw either of the other two teams in the same shot as the team that ended up winning it. And it was like, OK, like, why am I even watching this? Uh, we could have <laughs> turned it off 10 minutes in and we knew what happened. But this was not that. OK, well. The- Mike, I, I mean, I brought up the silent rave, but this was the antithesis of the silent rave. <laughs> yeah, this was a, I feel bad for anyone's eardrums who were directly involved or even nearby Hart Plaza for this final task, which, yeah, I mean, big, I'd say the biggest shocker is not necessarily this final task to put together a drum kit, but the fact that we did not have a final memory task, much to the shock of both fans and other teams. I, I have Jamal. some... And Jamal, yeah, I have some thoughts about it, but uh, Jess, I would love to go to you as our like Amazing Race historian, because I know this has been done you know, in, in a few seasons in the past, but what did you think about the lack of memory task in the final challenge, especially so close to the end? Well, I think the interesting thing that um, was brought up in the exit interviews was that everybody thought there was going to be one, and they all strategized accordingly. And so I think it's interesting. It was like... It was like the race was throwing it at them like, oh, you don't know, like you think you know what's going to happen, but you don't. And so I thought from that standpoint, it was like, oh, it was kind of like they pulled a little swisheroo on them. And that was kind of fun. But, I, you know, the memory task wasn't always a thing. I think it's been in more recent years, like as things become more formulaic, like just like on Survivor, the challenges weren't always go through an obstacle course to get your puzzle pieces and then put together the puzzle. Like that didn't used to be how every challenge was. And same thing on the amazing race. I feel like in recent seasons, especially it's like everybody knows the last task is the, is the memory puzzle challenge of some sort. And so you're all preparing for that. And I feel like it's good to not have that be the case every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I liked it as a curveball. I, I wasn't missing it. Yeah, I, I I think they're hard to watch too. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not. They're not necessarily entertaining. Like I see, I appreciate why they're there. I think it's an interesting way to put a bow on the season. But they don't always make the most compelling television. And the ones that are really hard are very hard for the viewer to follow. So I, from that standpoint, I don't miss it either. I mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head, Jess, or hit the screw on the drum. Uh, with you know keeping them on their toes because I believe that the list of recent seasons that haven't used the task the uh, the memory task were what season eighteen season twenty uh, there might be a season twenty four and then this one uh, season eighteen and season twenty four were the last two seasons that had all returning teams on it so I do think there is something in the producers really wanting to keep them on their toes and not have them prepare for something. That being said, I think what people were sort of uh, frustrated with is that they kind of wish this was a little harder. 
especially considering this does come down to two of the most dominant teams in Amazing Race history battling it out. Now, not to say that it wasn't a difficult task. I mean, Colin told me that they must have had their drums checked like 30 to 40 times. It came down to the smallest detail of like what positional wingnut is in in order to, to pass and go for a million dollars. It just seemed a little odd that like, you know, you have this huge gathering of so many reality stars, especially some of the most famous teams in Amazing Race history, and you sort of end with putting together a drum kit where you're essentially functioning as uh, in-house roadies. It's, it's, a, it's a weird way to end the season, even though it did provide some beautiful <laughs> moments. Yeah, and speaking of things that are hard to follow, like there was no way you could watch this at home and know what they were doing wrong at any point except for maybe the time that the camera meaningfully zoomed in on a washer on the ground. But you don't really know, like, what is it supposed to look like and what are they what are they not getting? And I found that really disorienting as well. I like it better when I kind of know what they need to be doing wrong or what they need to be doing differently and can yell at the screen accordingly. Well, what drove me crazy with this, and I mentioned this in my exit interview with Tyler and Corey, it was like, okay, so this is uh, really head to head. Who's going to figure out their mistake first? Okay. uh, We have that latch that uh, Colin and Christy have to see. And then Tyler and Corey have to see the, the washer that's on the ground. And then we, we see Corey sees the washer on the ground. Like, all right, that's it. Let's go. It's like, nope. Like what? What's wrong now? <laughs> uh, is, would you have? A, it was so. Fr- it was frustrating. More frustrating than drums or the eggs from last episode, which would have. We'll play a little bit of no alternate universe, which would have caused you more of a headache if you experienced it on the race, quibbling with a task judge. Well, in the case of me, the TV viewer, at least I can understand why. Okay, the egg is cracked. That's what the problem is. But you know, you're telling me, oh. The symbol is uh is tightened too much. Like I, it's a TV show. Nobody can tell. Yeah, I think that was the issue, though, is that I mean they could do a meaningful close up on the symbols with the iris focusing in on you know the little uh, the little wing nuts screwing into it. But the fact of the matter is, you can't really symbolize that it's on too tight unless you have like the words too tight come printed up on the screen symbolized so it's 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 tough to you know i guess show that but i do agree i do agree when i saw Corey find the washer i thought okay perfect this is it and then it turns out nope there was another invisible mistake that neither they nor the audience knew about and so it gave colin and christy time to have this really really interesting moment that i'm still so fascinated about where you know you see colin almost revert to colin 1.0 here getting really just overwhelmed by the noise and frustrated by the stakes of everything and when when christy just sort of you know takes an opportunity to breathe and focus and telepathically communicate with the drums that's what gets them the million dollars it's it's a crazy way for them to end their race but i just find it so meaningful considering you know the mantra they've run with the entire time and how much it just contrasts with the what we saw them do 15 years ago yeah just they were trying to sell it to us uh once we saw colin and christy leave well maybe they could hit traffic maybe they could get lost they said stop it stop it well The main thing I think that was happening in the moment was that they um, they thought there was another task. I think everybody thought there was another task. I think Tyler and Corey were like, well, we got to get our memory task. So clearly that's going to be the next thing. We can still make up time. But yeah, 
it turns out like you look at the clock and you're like, no, I don't think we got enough time for a memory task. I think they're just going straight there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stri- and the interesting thing, I think, is that um, I actually we were. I was putting out the call for questions last night and people were tweeting questions. And then this morning, Tyler got up and just started answering some of the questions. Yeah, we had a, we a backdoor us, mini um, AMA which, by Tyler Oakley in our questions thread this week. Tyler, I mean, we, dude, we appreciate you very much. So, yeah, I, 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 I see you, Tyler, and I appreciate you. And so I took the opportunity. I said, so how far behind were you guys when Colin and Christy left and you got it right? Like how much time had passed? And he said, I honestly have absolutely no idea, but here's how you can find out. Like go on to the forum where they post all the spoilers and find that day and look in real time. And so I did that. Mm -hmm. And it was not close. It was if there had been a memory task, they might have caught up where I think that that's where the hope comes from. But they were a full hour behind Colin and Christy at the end. Wow. Uh, because of the, the the drum, just put just finding the right the or, or did they because of the symbol? Yeah, yeah, okay. The simple symbols, wow. and I mean that I would I blame their taxi driver where they get in the cab and they're like, oh, we're did, did other people you know leave? They said, oh yeah, they just they, we they just left. Though apparently, according to Jess, they did not just leave; they left an hour ago, dude. Hmm. All right. Yeah, but you also know there's probably a producer sticking his head in the window and saying, uh, "Can you can you just say that they just left?" <laughs> or they could even overdub that. Like, did we see the guy's lips move? <laughs> it turns out that I guess Leo and Jamal got uh, close to Tyler and Corey by the end. Uh, if uh, we take uh, Leo and Jamal's account at face value, Mike. Yeah, they said that they like blazed through it. So that was one of their little. Their own little know it alternate universe of like, what if we had gotten through the roadblock? We would have blazed through the the drums task. But yeah, it seemed to be sort of a weird stopping point. I mean, I do agree, and I see where they're coming from. That you know, this was a bit of a break in the norm. Again, we've had it a few times before, but I guess it succeeded in the producers' whims, and that you know, it did stop up teams a bit, throw them off their game, and as a result, unfortunately, Tyler and Corey, who have excelled so much in attention to detail unfortunately fell on a task that was about attention to detail. Now, look, they definitely went out with their typical bright smiles and they have such a great attitude about things and I commend them fully for it. But I mean, my heart does go out for them to, you know, come so close, especially in a task they consider their forte has to be crushing. All right, let's get to the final, Matt. Colin and Christy come in. All the teams are back and they get a a, a nice welcome from everybody, Jess. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah, there there was some eye rolling. There was some not for Colin and Christy though. Not for Colin and Christy, but yeah, I guess everybody's happy for them. Yeah, uh, and the same thing with Tyler and Corey when uh, they show up. Uh, no animosity or ill will towards them. Sure, I mean, how could you hate those guys? No. Uh, and then here come the Afghanimals, and then we get a eye roll from hell from Eliza, Mike. I mean, there's no jury on The Amazing Race. This is the closest thing we can get to it using those reactions, right? I was a little afraid we go full Carolyn Brandy here with Eliza and Corinne oh. uh, pr- protesting the Afghanimals checking in, but I mean, seeing what Corinne and Eliza talk about on social media, it does seem like they were really purposely playing it up. Uh, if we remember, they did not mince words in their exit interviews with us about the Afghanimals, so clearly, you know, uh, several weeks after getting eliminated, they still held those attitudes when they came back to the States. 
Well, I have to say, uh, I asked the Afghanimals, I, I opened the door to hear if uh, they had hard feelings towards anybody. And uh, Mike, I, I don't know how they were with you, but I, I felt like they really took the high road today. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think they sort of acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we do sneaky things. I mean, I had asked them as well about were they in on sort of this big, amazing race deal that Colin and Christy and Tyler and Corey said, and they said no. I mean, we didn't really care who we were racing with at the end. And they sort of made the argument of like, you guys argue that we're doing underhanded things, but you have all these teams working together and then having to turn on one another when push comes to shove. You know, at least we're going to stab you in the front. We're not going to stab you in mm-hmm. the back. And so considering that sort of mentality, I think it informs a lot of the stuff that they were doing over the course of the race and simultaneously why that interpersonally might grate on some other teams when they're not exactly, you know, uh, they're not exactly acting like your best friends right at the front there. Okay. All right, Jess, anything else from the two hours of the amazing race? Uh, well, I want to, I want to kind of close the book on Colin and Christie by pointing out, um, Something that I I got a chuckle out of when it occurred to me, and maybe you guys, your mileage may vary, but we talked a little bit about how the Afghanimals needed to beat that leg 11 curse, and Tyler needed to beat that uh, screwing up the thrill task uh, to improve their previous placement. And I feel like the overarching thing that Colin and Christy had to overcome, given that they ended up in a plaza with Seven Nation Army blasting for hours and hours. I think the thing they had to overcome was globally 2003. (laughs) Yes, they needed to beat that. (laughs) I I thought it would have been really perfect if this would have been a season of the Amazing Race where they only uh, went to Seven Nations. I think that that really would have been uh, really perfect. No, no, that was season 24. I think we went over (laughs) that. That was, yeah, one of those seasons where they used to do two legs uh, per per nation. Uh, Yes. Uh, Anything else from 2003 that came up? Uh, Well, mostly... Mostly the song and mostly just everything that Colin was. Would have been a perfect season for me to come back. Yeah, that's very true. It, it certainly was would your have. Year. That was your year, Rob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another relic from 2003. <laughs> you could have been. You no. could have been one of the clue givers, Rob. Yeah. That Run into two, 2003 celebrity Rob Sesternino will judge the foaling and give their next clue. <laughs> I mean, who else do we get? We get Howard Dean, maybe. Uh. (laughs) Uh, All of the sights and sounds of uh, 2003. We'll make 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 it happen. Okay. All right. Uh, Put it on the wheel. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That that being said, uh, uh, what what, anything else uh, for you, Mike, on the finale before we get to some questions? I mean, I'll admit, I got extremely emotional with Colin and Christie's win. I know that, uh, especially people that find extremely emotional. Did you cry? I, I, I got teared. I teared up. I'll fully admit to that. And I think I'll admit, <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, I don't think that's everyone's reaction. But I think, as someone who has such emotional investment with them from watching them 15 years ago. I feel like it makes sense. I could understand, and I've seen sort of various receptions across the internet today. I think it's generally positive, but I think some people would have said, well, I would have rather had, you know, Team X win, specifically Tyler and Corey, than Colin and Christy. I could see why, especially from, like, your perspective, Rob, or people who came into The Amazing Race new this season, or, you know, took off a few seasons, why it doesn't exactly hold that historical relevance, so it doesn't really hold that emotional weight. But, I mean, they came in, smiles beaming, Colin got to pick up fill in a bear hug and 
give him a big old spanking to get a million dollar check. So who can complain? Look, I said earlier in the season that I felt like that uh, I thought that they were a little bit, uh, I said the dreaded uh, B word, but uh, I have to say that uh, by the end of this, uh, that I, I am fascinated by Colin and Christy, Jess. Mm-hmm. They are, yeah, I, life is a rich tapestry, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like th- th- they've got everything figured out, and uh, I-, I just want—I just wanted them to-, to sit here and 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 talk and tell me, tell me what what am I doing wrong? Yeah, I think they—they they probably have a good handle on that. Yeah, I think so. Right? Probably you need to do more meditation. Oh man, I've tried. I've tried. It's hard. It's hard. I hear you. I did yoga this week, so I feel like I'm on the right track <laughs> okay. to embracing my inner Colin and Christie. Yeah. All right, Mike, uh, anything else that you want to mention? No, I mean, we can move into, I'm sure we're going to give our overall thoughts about the season, the concept, and, you know, moving forward. But uh, I I thought this ended on a really interesting note. Again, I'll say that I think the quality of tasks on the last leg was not fantastic, especially compared to last season, which I thought, say what you want to about last season, but I thought it really ended on an extremely high note, a team extremely high note. Uh, But I thought that between the teams and especially just the difficulty and breadth of tasks in, you know, from the final six onwards, this was a really fantastic endgame with a horse race between two of the most dominant teams ever. Actually, I'll throw out one more question before we move into uh, questions from the audience. Here's another bit of a, a hot take from me. Tyler and Corey, best team to never win, Mr. 2003? Mm. Uh, I will say, for my money, I'll say yes. What do you think, Jess? Yeah, I could I could co-sign that. Yeah. I mean, the other teams in the conversation, you have to think about, like, who has made the finals multiple times. And I think of the teams that have made the finals multiple times or fallen just short. I think they're undoubtedly they have the best average finishing and obviously most first place finishes. Yeah. Um, Brendan and Rachel are right there. Do we count the Alyssa and Rachel? Does that bring uh, the average down, Mike? I mean, uh, they held that record for one, for like two episodes. I did love Phil talking through the uh, Afghanimals accolades and it cutting to Rachel to be like, ah, yes, this is her abdicating her crown so quickly. Well, also, don't sleep on the Afghanimals, too, who also have three final four appearances as well. Yeah, that's true. And you could, to Jess's point, include one team, uh, one time teams like the green team, Justin and Diana, certainly up there. Eric and Jeremy from uh, season nine is certainly up there as Jeremy? well. <laughs> you could have uh, two other uh, non-finalist teams with Dustin and Candice from seasons 10 and 11. Like, there's a whole crop of teams there, but I really do feel like for my money... Tyler and Corey have just put on a combination of just consistency coupled with coupled with personality that makes them like an all time team in my book. Okay. All right. Before we start to get to questions, let me take a moment and thank a sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are our friends over at Legacy Box. Hey, remember 2003? Do you have home movies from 2003 that you'd like to revisit? Well, if you uh, don't have uh, the uh, VHS or a Hi8 camera ready to go, Legacy Box can help you out because Legacy Box is going to digitize your old home movies from analog 
to a digital format like a uh, DVD or a thumb drive that you could watch on your computer. I got my mom Legacy a box for Christmas and she finally got around to sending in home movies and I've been getting email updates from Legacy Box along the way. You too can be the hero of your family when you bring back the lost memories to watch and see again just like uh, Colin Christie uh, didn't want to go back and look at those old amazing race tapes but you can go back and look at your old tapes and hopefully uh, they are happier memories than uh, some of the uh, broken oxes that Colin and Christie went back when you sign up for Legacy Box they send you the secured box you fill it with your old home movies and pictures they do the rest professionally digitize your moments onto a thumb drive digital download or a DVD. Legacy Box is the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. Over 450,000 families have trusted Legacy Box with over a decade of experience. All the work is done by hand right here in the United States of America. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com to get started for a limited time. They're going to offer our listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Rob to get 40% of your first order. That's at LegacyBox.com com slash Rob. Save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. Okay. Jess, uh, we have questions from the listeners about the Amazing Race 31 finale. Okay, so let's get to some questions. I think a logical place to start with our questions would be to tackle a couple of basic questions we got as part of our ongoing series to educate our public. Amazing Race 101. Amazing race one oh one. Gonna miss that. We can use it next year. Yeah. Can he can he uh, do a Big Brother one oh one? I I'll I'll ask him. I I mean his schedule's pretty full, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Okay. Plus, I think if you use the term Big Brother around him, he's gonna get very confused about what's going on with mommy. <laughs> oh. Oh, good lord! I hope not. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's talk Amazing Race one oh one. What do you got, Jess? All right. So Andrew in Edmonton says. What is the maximum distance that individual members of each team can be apart from each other, i.e. running for the mats or looking for items? Interesting. It's a very good question, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, the, the answer that I heard, and I got a lot of insider information back in the day um, from the Television Without Pity message boards, which actually had a sub forum where racers would go into the forum after they had completed their run on the show and answer questions like this that people had. And my recollection is that it is about 20 feet. And that is just so that the cameraman can keep you in the same shot at all times. And there are circumstances, for instance, if you're doing a roadblock that requires you to, you know, go up in a funicular and come down by rappelling or something, and you'll be you know, the person who's not doing the roadblock is going to be put in an area and like a little holding pin and told to wait there. And in those circumstances, you can be apart from each other. But unless the task dictates it, you kind of have to be right in each other's faces the whole time. That's what my understanding. Right. So it's not like a Camden market. Colin and Krista could say, "Okay, let's split up. You take this corner of the market. I'll take this one and we'll grab our items. You you pretty much have have to stay within camera line of each other. Right, because there's only one camera guy for two racers, and they need to know what you're doing, because if you do the cool thing, and they're filming your partner, they're going to get in trouble. 
But what happens then? They say, all right, stop. You can don't move any further. You're not in the same shot. Exactly. All right. Good to know. Yep. And I mean, I, I would welcome any input because I know that a lot of my understanding of how the show works uh, may not be entirely up to date because we no longer have those wonderful forums and the active community of fans to engage with the racers. We kind of get some of that on Twitter, and I've been able to fact check a couple of things with uh, recent racers, but I my understanding is that part of it has not changed. Okay. And so our second Amazing Race 101 question comes from Ryan Patterson, who wants to know, do second and third place get a designated prize for their finish? I'm going to get I don't think they do. They get something. Okay. Yeah, they they definitely do. I it's not as announced as, you know, Survivor where we know they get $100,000 or Big Brother which is what? 50? 50. Yeah, I want to say. Uh so it's it's not exactly announced, but yes, teams that make the final leg do get I think uh a good amount of money whereas I'm not entirely sure Jess in terms of the pay structure outside of the, you know, fourth place through 11th place. Uh I don't know if they get paid on like a per leg basis or a finish basis or anything like that. But the the top three definitely do get structure payment. Yeah, my understanding of it is that it is similar to the kind of sliding scale that you get on Survivor where the first boot gets a certain amount and then up through, like, depending on how long you last, you get more. But my other understanding of it is that the people that do not win the race get a lot less money than their counterparts on Survivor. Mm Mm-hmm. And they have to split it. Yeah, I yeah. Then they, they have to split it. I do not know exactly what the amounts are, but my understanding is second place gets nowhere near a hundred thousand dollars. Throw a ballpark number out there if you had to guess. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably twenty to thirty thousand. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed. Twenty five k. Yeah, I and I'm not sure. I I don't believe they're allowed to confirm that, but that's about my understanding of it. Yeah. Uh, and nobody, nobody's asking them to, uh, confirm it, but, uh, just, uh, give us like a, you know, thumbs up emoji if you're an amazing racer and then, uh, <laughs> we'll know higher and then, uh, thumbs down and we'll know lower. No, we have to go, we have to go more, uh, just more dubious with it. So do like a, uh, a cat winking if if it's higher and if it's lower do a picture of uh, a, a, a face with the dollar signs for eyes okay sounds good <laughs> okay okay so those are our amazing race 101 questions and i thought last week we had so many but i guess the final leg is kind of a little more self-explanatory i guess okay so i thought here is an interesting one and this one is has partly been answered by a racer already, but I I think it's a funny thing for us to discuss a little bit just based on the history of what has happened here. But um, Allison Keeler wants to know, why are the finale parties always in the winner city? What a big spoiler. Hmm. And <laughs> and Tyler replied saying this one was organized by Travelocity with a location decided for us and it was a total coincidence and indeed uh, I had heard word that there was going to be a finale party in Dallas, Texas where Travelocity is headquartered and they were throwing it. It looked like there was even like a photo op with the gnome. A lot of former racers were there. Looked very fun but it had nothing to do with the fact that Colin and Christy are also from Texas because I don't even think they're from Dallas. Mm. 
is is there out is there a premiere party where that this happened outside of the one you got invited to jess where jason and amy invited you to providence (laughs) well this has happened twice actually um i i've been spoiled on the winner twice um under these circumstances because a little bit of amazing race history for y'all um in season one of The Amazing Race, uh, on the Television Without Pity boards and a couple of other sites that had a fan community growing up around the show, people just kind of planned, oh, well, let's all get together. Like, if you're in the New York area, come down to this bar and we'll all watch it together because it's been really fun talking about it. And so all these people gathered in this bar and it was a relatively small group. And then something amazing happened at the end of that Um after the show had finished airing, all of a sudden the doors open and the entire cast of season one of The Amazing Race walks into this fan party. Mm-hmm. And they they crash the party and it becomes a tradition. And this is what Tarkon kind of became, uh, where we would have this big party in a bar. We'd rent out a whole bar and watch the show together. People would fly in from everywhere. We had a woman who would fly in from Hawaii every year to attend the amazing race finale parties and then whatever cast members could make it to new york would kind of watch the show together and then after the show was over they would come into the party and join the fans and have the party and this was how every amazing race finale was pretty much from season one up to season 18 the show did its own thing out of new york but then up until the last one was season 22 Mm-hmm. And this was the reason. This is the reason that I'm as into the show as I am, because, you know, in my backyard, all of the people from the show are having a party and I can go and hang out with fans and engage that way. And, you know, Survivor didn't have anything like that for a really long time. I think especially pre-Rob has a podcast. There was no Survivor fan community of people hanging out together watching the show. And so this was kind of. It was such a great community of people that grew up around this, and I got to meet so many people that had run the race and kind of make a lot of friendships. And then 22 was the last year they did it because it was dwindling and people were less interested. And then season 23, Jason and Amy decide they're going to take up the mantle and they're going to throw this amazing party in Providence. And so they invited you know, we were well into RJP at that point. They invited us to come and I went and hung out with them at the finale and it was great. But when they tell you to come to Providence for a party. Mm-hmm. You you kind of know who won, especially once you see the party is like in a hotel ballroom and they spent like a hundred grand on it. It's like, that's kind of a tip off. But then another finale party that happened, I think the next couple, we kind of threw our own and like I, I did one in a bar and we had a bunch of people show up. I think that was actually might have been where I met Mike Bloom for the first time. Oh, yes. During the always um, startling was, season 24 finale. I think meeting you was by far the <laughs> highlight of the night and it wasn't even close. Indeed, I, I will co-sign that 100 um, percent. But then season 26, I get a tip off that there's going to be a party in New York again. And they said, you know, it's going to be at this bar. If you know anybody else in the podcast family that wants to come, you know, spread the word around. And a lot of old school fans from the Tarkon days showed up at this party. But the tip off on that one was I got the information on the invite and it said uh, there's a cover charge and you need to send it via PayPal to Tyler Adams, who was half of the team that won. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, well, if he's throwing the party. So that's where that's kind of like, oh, well, if they have a finale party and it's the you know, it, it, the person throwing the party is one of the racers. That's kind of a tip off to 
how that's going to go. So that's kind of, I think, where that's coming from. And finale party doesn't actually literally always happen in the Winter City. And sometimes there's not even a finale party. Uh, but I think ever since Tarkon ended, it's been more in flux. And if somebody wants to take it up and throw a party and invite some fans to celebrate their win, that's kind of hard to cover up. Okay. Okay, so um, on a lighter note, I think um, I like this one from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, who wants to know what frat party or tailgating game would be your five hole amazing race <laughs> challenge. Ah, oh, ooh, um, is it na- right now? Na- right now or in two thousand three? <laughs> um, I want to hear both. Mm. <laughs> uh, hmm. I would say Flip Cup is probably the first one that comes to mind for me. It's in the, I don't want to go exactly with, you know, the Beer Pong Bay route because that's in the realm of uh, of foaling, which I'm assuming is why the great Fitzy brought this up. So I I think Flip Cup, if they're able to turn that into some sort of league sport, could be something that I'd be able to at least be moderately good at. Yeah. Uh, Are we involving card games, Jess? Well, that was where I was going to go with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like uh, you used to play a card game called A Hall. That's oh, the one okay. I was thinking of, Rob. I, I would be the president. Do not ask me the rules today. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't remember them either. I'm not sure I ever actually knew them. <laughs> I think. I think it was sort yeah. of like Crazy Eights, but then you would then give like a stratified class system: a president, vice president. Uh, like Lord and yeah, then like a waterfall. Yeah. 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 And basically, they got. Uh, oh, you're, there's a thumb on the table. Uh, you didn't pay attention. Exactly. And the president can be like, oh, the rule is that a hole gets given half my deck to start it. So basically, it was just about like trying to work your way out of the bottom 99% and get that illustrious position on the top 1% by just getting the luckiest cards possible. Yes. Uh, just it's uh, the edge of extinction of card games. Yeah, it, it kind of is, because you can come in at the last minute and swoop in and win the whole thing <laughs> on the basis of your privilege. Are, yeah, they're wild. Okay. All right. <laughs> what else? All right. Um, let's see. Oh, I like I like this one because it's it's a good entry point into something that I think we were discussing on Twitter last night. Um, Ryan wants to know, would you rather put together a drum set with Seven Nation Army blasting in your ear or lie on a bed listening to Tiny Bubbles for a whole night? Uh, yes. Speaking of 2003. Yes. Yes. Love a good mole, yes. f- mole flashback here. Mole season two. Yeah. Okay. Is there uh, is there a song that you feel like would trigger you guys that you would just get driven crazy to listening ad infinitum? Baby Shark. Mm. <laughs> well, that's already my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say for so. me, it's, it's probably Banana Phone by Raffi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, wait till your kid starts listening to his own music. I'm not going to expose oh, my boy. child to Raffi. Raffi is, is, a, is a relic. R- Raffi's on <laughs> vinyl. Yeah, but your kid's going to pick something that makes Raffi seem like the Beatles. <laughs> Yeah, the wheels on the bus can go straight to hell. Let me tell you that. Wow. <laughs> oh, imagine solving a puzzle on a bus while the wheels on the bus just played by like a Sousa march band. Hmm. Yeah, I, I. That's my personal hell. I can see that. Yeah. All too clearly. Um. Yes. 
I don't know if we spent enough time talking about how like the I thought that the seven uh, nation army was really cool in terms of uh, that. It wasn't just that the song was, you know, repeating over and over again, uh, like the tiny bubbles from that clip from the mole season two. But it also created this dynamic where it was very hard to communicate with your partner. So I thought it made it a a really interesting and uh, unique task for the amazing race chess yeah i i thought it was really you want you want some measure of spectacle in your final tasks and i thought this really brought it in that regard an interesting thing and i think this is a good place to talk about this um there was an article that came out in the detroit free press last july the day after they finished filming the finale that uh gave away the final three teams and even told you kind of who the final team two teams were so If you had a Google News alert set up for Amazing Race, you didn't Mm -hmm. have a good time. Um, But they provided some really interesting tidbits that I thought um, were kind of worth pointing out from a logistics standpoint. Uh, Hart Plaza was not supposed to be where this was happening. They wanted to get people a little further out of town. They wanted to bring them to a nature preserve and then have the Seven Nation Army Band (laughs) set up with a... With a cast of hundreds playing, they really wanted much bigger. And this was what they could get because this was, uh, they couldn't get the permit to play at the Nature Preserve when they found out, oh, we're going to bring a hundred rock musicians <laughs> to play amplified sound to nature. They're like, no, nah, we're not about that. So they had to do it in the middle of downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lot fewer musicians, I think, than they had envisioned, but still pretty spectacular, I think, all things considered. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I feel about destroying the environment via noise pollution for the sake of an amazing race task. That feels like a step too far. Uh, but <laughs> I, I totally agree with you guys. I liked the communication aspect that this brought up of, you know, you see Colin and Christy, they try not to yell at each other, but they literally have to in this type of task where you can't talk over. You have to wait for these poor musicians to take a break or for the music to get like piano instead of fortissimo to uh, to be able to have a dialogue, which I'm assuming made things super difficult, especially when initially starting off and actually arranging the drum set. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Next question. Uh, we got a lot of great questions. I think this is going to open up some great discussion here um, because we had a lot of people asking us for who else we think would be good if they ever did another reality TV showdown. So I want to give a shout out to Rick Lachey, who wanted to know um, what other big brother couples we could get. Um, John John had the best suggestion I've heard so far. Um, Did they have a bad... uh, Did Amazing Race do a bad job because they didn't cast Joey Amazing and fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas? (laughs) And uh, Felipe Chalon wants to know, so now that we've seen the complete season of Amazing Race Reality Star Editions... Who would you want to see? Should they do it again in a few years? And I think they absolutely 100% have to do it again in a few years. And he had a lot of great ideas for teams. But I said earlier in the day, I want to throw it to Rob and Mike because I want to see who they come up with who should be on the next um, Amazing Race reality throwdown. Too. Well, can I just say, first off, and this was a, a really fun season. Uh, Jess says, uh, best season ever. Don't at me. Jess, I, I felt like in the lead up to this that, uh, I mean, remember we talked to Phil and he's like, okay, trust, uh, you know, look, we got a, a trust real the process. season yeah. next season coming up. Uh, I really felt like that the that they were signaling, hey, this one might might be kind of a flop, but don't worry, there's a real season coming up next. So uh, I'm really confused about uh, the things that Phil was saying in the lead up to the season. Well, I think maybe Phil wasn't thrilled about it, but, you know, every time Jeff Probst is thrilled about a survivor outcome, we're kind of like, eh, on that, too. Mm-hmm. So. 
maybe the host is not always the best gauge. I also wonder, you know, I think information did get out before the actual teams were released about what exactly the theme was. And I think it was met to a bit of a tepid response. I think that a lot of acclaim has grown for this season once people actually saw the premise play out. But I think at the time, the temperature of the Internet was a bit colder of people saying, like, why are they doing this? You know, we want our amazing race teams to just do an all-star season. And I really love this season, the teams especially. Uh, I will say that this reminds me a bit of, again, we compare it to like a fans versus favorites thing where you almost enjoy the season in spite of the fact that it's essentially unfair for half the teams in the race. That being said, uh, not only you know was it full of characters and great moments, but I would say the top five teams, it was an extremely Cat Ederson-like top-heavy cast. And that the top five teams were all oh boy. super great performers, great characters, and great racers as well. So I cannot complain too much. And to Jess's point, I could see, even though they were trepidatious about you know the reception about it in the beginning, I think now the reception after the season has ended has now given them some ammunition to pull this theme out again if they decide to do it down the line. Yeah, and I think I said very early on in the season, I wouldn't even be mad if they did it like every other season or even every season. I thought it injected some new life into a show that, let's be real, is kind of in its death throes. And we want it to be around for as long as it can be around. And I think like there's another season in the can. It is a regular season or quote unquote with quote unquote regular people. So it's happening. But I really think this was such a great idea. It was so well executed and it brought in so many new pairs of eyes to the show. It introduced people to what the show is. It was a great course. And I think everybody that was cast brought something unique to it. So I think they absolutely have to do it again and I'll be here for it. And let's see how the season that comes back, Back in the fall, whenever it gets a time slot, is going to end up faring. I, I do think that if there is some sort of a drop off in the ratings from where we were with this season, which I think was 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 good, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not strong, but 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 fine, uh, cromulent. Some would say just <laughs> perfectly cromulent. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so if the ratings drop off, I, I wonder maybe if that's at the point where they return to this format. I think so. I think we probably coast on some goodwill for a while. And if next season is amazing and mind blowing, if we get like a season five level spectacular, then, you know, we continue on the path. And if we struggle, we bring in a new gimmick. And I think that's kind of how they've operated for a while now. Yeah. Uh, And in terms of the non amazing race teams to bring, I guess that's where that's where we're starting the list. So we're not going to say like Rob uh, and Steven, Rob and Steven. Uh, (laughs) But 100 percent. Yeah. So I I mean, I think that probably uh, you have to start with uh, Nicole and Victor. I think that they would be people who were standouts that from the non big brother side of things and uh, call me a homer. But uh, I thought that Brett and Chris turned out to be very fun to have on the amazing race. And I I think that uh, like a lot of the uh, great amazing race buddy duos of seasons past, I I thought that their dynamic uh, really got to shine. All right, Rob, now are there Survivor and Big Brother and maybe some Amazing Race teams as well that we would want to drum up for Reality Stars 2 cast if it's inevitably coming? I I have some thoughts, but I was wondering if you had any off the top of your head of other reality TV pairs that you would want to see come back for this type of format. 
Well, I, I think that there's a, a ton that you can come up with. I mean, there are you, you could just like uh, put people together that, you know, barely know each other, like some of the uh, pairs that we ended up getting uh, this season, where uh, other than Janelle and Brittany being on a season of Big Brother together, it wasn't like that. They're like uh, super close best friends or anything like that. So um you know, there's nobody that's like jumping out to me. Okay, I, I have a few here because I, I definitely gave this some thought. I mean, I'll admit one of them fell into my lap uh, when we had Bryce Isaiah on our Survivor South Africa podcast a couple weeks ago. I asked him this exact same question, and he said yes. he would either run the race with Wendell Holland or Rodney. I'd probably go with the latter uh, just because mm-hmm. I oh want to see the, dy- the dynamic between the two of them. Plus, I feel like you have to put like a Dominic Wendell pairing on the race, right? You want to see if that bromance sticks. Sure, sure. Uh, um, they, they'd be great. I would also say uh, I think Malcolm and Denise would be a really interesting pairing as well. Because the, the thought that I had about this was you want to cast fun teams, but at the same time, you don't want to fall into the trap we did this season where you want to cast teams that can stay competitive as well so and no offense you know the other survivor and big brother teams they were fantastic in their own right but i would say malcolm and denise are a good combo there i think uh adam J, the yin yang from millennials versus gen x would be a fun one uh for big brother i thought uh actually the the briones danielle donato and dominic from season 13 oh. could be a really could be a really interesting pairing like very victor and nicole-esque and actually, uh, if we're going Big Brother, you know, adjacent, I think the Willett sisters, I know Morgan's gone a bit MTV, but I think they could be a fun wow. pair, too. You're going to OTT. Yeah, I mean, I almost went to Celebrity for a second with uh, Tom Green and Lolo Jones, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about Tom Green and Kato Kalen? I do not know if they'd make it out of the, out of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Jess, did you have any ideas of other, I mean, did you have any ideas of any other teams like that or, or amazing race teams that you think we, you would want to come back in this sort of like a uh, half all-stars format? Well, I have a couple of ideas. And first of all, I have to give another shout out to John John, because I feel like, I feel like he's touched on something that I, that I think is maybe the one blind spot that amazing race casting had going into this season, which is that. I think they needed more Victor and Nicole-esque teams who were much stronger and younger and more adaptable. And I think where they went wrong was casting these Survivor and Big Brother teams of racers that couldn't hang. Mm -hmm. And then we end up losing all the teams from the other reality shows. And we have, you know, we have Brett and Chris and Victor and Nicole and nobody else. Everybody else is for Amazing Race. And I think what they need to do is go stronger and get people that can compete and i think i think john john's suggestion of, what do you mean stronger i'm as strong as an elephant strongest i'm as strong as an ox yeah i had so many people oh, adding oh, me nobody to point can break out. this ox except except maybe an elephant <laughs> I, I i love you i love you but i hate you <laughs> see that amazing moment in episode two I, I don't know how you could disparage this season but it had that fantastic rupert love-hate relationship with his spirit animal it was good tv but you knew that rupert like i think mike our comment on it when we recorded our cast preview was these guys are not even going to make it out of the airport yeah and that was just about what we got so close. i think you're gonna it was finish fun that mayonnaise <laughs> 
I and I think it was fun to see Rupert on The Amazing Race for 30 seconds. But if you really want to mix it up and you really want to make it competitive, you got to have teams that can compete. And so I think Joe Anglum and Sierra Don Thomas are a lock whenever we do the second reality throwdown. Um, I think they would be they'd be great TV. They're entertaining. Um, they're physically strong. I think they would be Very zen. in the mix. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd have them as my winner pick against just about everybody. So there's that. So I think that's a great one. And here's the here's, I think, the amazing race team that I want to see run the race. And I honestly have no idea if these two are still together. But the thing that fascinates me, um, Blair of season 26. Yes. Yeah, and Brooke. And Brooke of season 29 dated for a long time may still be together i'm not sure but that's the pairing i want to see i want to see more of these people that have run the amazing race before but with different partners this time around um and not in the eric and danielle sense of oh we hooked up once and now we're going to pretend we're still dating but people that like are generally like genuinely still love the show and are interested like the show brought them together long term um i also think um azaria and christina from season 12 would be another yeah. team i've always wanted to see on the board something like that i want to see amazing race teams of people that actually know each other that actually connected and have a deep bond that the amazing race brought them together to send them out on the course again i think would be really powerful Okay. Plus, it's a little bit it's a little bit of a way to sort of like handicap them as well right of like hey you've run the race before but you haven't run the race before with this person which i would say I think exactly made, made rachel you know pause a little bit as well and i think maybe that sort of contributed to her not nothing against Alyssa. they worked really well together but you know that might have contributed to her not becoming a three-time finalist so i think it would be an interesting way to sort of set things up if you cast you know really strong non-race teams and you know some race teams that might take a little bit of growing room to get used to each other i think you could have a really fun season in store plus throw in kim and ally because it's been a long time since we've seen kim and ally on our screens from season 25 and we need them yeah and they were supposed to be on this season they were asked i don't know who they got bumped for but they we came very close to having them back i would have liked to have seen them so i guess let's move into we have a lot of questions that people wanted to know about the legacy of this season. I think it's a good way to close the book on it. So uh, we have a lot of people asking questions like that. Um, so we're, I'm going to I'm going to actually start out with um, some comparisons to previous seasons and looking back on things. Um, Tender Taryn wants to know during oh. season five. Yeah. <laughs> during season five, were you team Colin and Christy or team Charlotte and Myrna? Ooh. Good question. I mean, I was sort of, I was team everybody because, God, I love season five so much. And it's, I don't know how it's skyrocketed more in my eyes, but it somehow has due to the fact that now we know that the second place team is going to go on to win a season of The Amazing Race. Uh, so I was sort of like team love to hate Colin and Christy. I was super happy when Chip and Kim ended up beating them in the end because it really was one of those classic tales of good defeats evil, even though they're not evil whatsoever. So, I guess by default, I was Team Charlene Myrna accidentally picking up South American hookers and grabbing electrical fences. <laughs> you know, I, I'm always Team Charlene Myrna, but when I watched season five for the first time, I was very much rooting for Chip and Kim. And I think it's the only time in all of Amazing Race history where the team that I really wanted to win ended up being the team that actually won. Mm hmm. 
answer. I loved the I loved the part near the end where they're talking about the difference between chip time and Kim time. And they kind of ramped it up at the very end when they needed to and ended up pulling out a really satisfying victory. Can I um can I just say something random here, not to go to tangentialize too much, but since we're talking about old seasons, uh, I know that people have reached out to us over the course of this season, and I'm assuming afterwards as well, saying, hey, uh, I'm so happy to get back into The Amazing Race or get into The Amazing Race for the first time. What season should I watch? Well, good thing for you. Uh, Jessica and Dan Heaton and I did a podcast after season 28 ranking all 27 seasons for Rob has a podcast that you can listen to. But I would say if you want like a short list of about 10 or so seasons to check out, uh, I would say one, two, three, uh, five, six or seven, 12, let's say 17, 20, uh, 25. And I throw in 29. Do I have to open a bank vault with these numbers? <laughs> yeah, Is Rob, turn it. You have to turn it five times counterclockwise. Uh, and I throw in 29 oh, as well. You can't go wrong with any of those 10 seasons. And luckily, they're all available on Hulu or Amazon Prime. So if you got a great taste out of The Amazing Race this time around and you want to dig more into the buffet, you have plenty of other seasons to check out. Okay. Yep. Is- um, so... Next question. Um, well, I, I think we we can't we can't close out an amazing race season podcast without. I think I've got two more questions for you, but I think we really can't have a season finale podcast without a question from my favorite tweeter, Hot Nuts. Yes, Hot Nuts. <laughs> so he points out the most career legs run are the Afghanimals, and most career first places are Tyler Corey and Colin and Christie. Did this finale pit the three best teams ever? Could the Amazing Race producers have scripted a better way to end the season? And did they just buy themselves five more years on TV? Wow. Oh, boy. Hot Nuts ended really hot. Yeah. It's a hot take from Hot Nuts. Yes. <sighs> All right. So I guess we, we can take that piecemeal. So I guess. So he's asking not only are these three of the best teams in the season, but three of the best teams ever squaring off against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think like, is there a better situation yeah, I mean, I guess if you wanted to go for the diversity and the theming of it all to have a non-amazing race team in the final would have been great. But from a performative perspective, I mean, yeah, these are three teams that I think will go down in amazing race history for various reasons. You know, I think Leo and Jamal declare themselves amazing race kings, but I think they're all holding court at this point. And I think even though from previous history, Leo and Jamal uh, might not have set a great chance of winning overall going into the final leg. I think all three teams proved that they should have been there at the end. And it definitely stands out as one of the most, the best final threes that I've seen in quite some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Co-signed. I thought it was, I think if we were counting down and here's an off season podcast for you, Mike, if there ever is an off season, which there may never be, um, is ranking all the final, all the final legs. I think that would be a fun rank down because I think sometimes the finale is far from the best thing about a season. Okay, so one final question. And I think I think this is a good way to close the book on things. Um, Soy Gonzalo wants to know, this season is top five for sure for me, maybe second or even best of all time. Amazing leg design, amazing cast, amazing redemption arc across two seasons and amazing finale. What am I missing? Rob, what, do you, what did you think about this season overall? 
I mean, I thought that the season was a lot of fun. I, I can't think of too many times where we said that this episode was a dud or that there was anything that was uh, not a not super fun to watch. We we quibbled a couple times with uh, leg designs or places that they went, but uh, overall, I feel like that the complaints were uh, you know few and far between on our part. Yeah, I would say you know if, if I start with the negatives. Uh, leg design was a little weird there, especially in the middle, uh, you know, between the one, I'd say Switzerland was probably their low point between the one leg where everyone sort of ran in a straight line from beginning to end and the other one that took two hours to complete. It was a little suspect, but really, honestly, I keep, keep saying it, but once we hit Croatia, they pressed down on that gas pedal from every perspective of the, of the design. And I think it worked out super well and it played to such entertaining results. And I would say for the other legs where maybe there wasn't a lot of great stuff going on task wise that were entertaining teams to make up for it. So I can't complain that much. I feel like every team sort of had their moment with maybe the exception of Janelle and Brittany, which is really unfortunate, but maybe it was just sort of, I think Robbie pointed this out early on in the season. It's just sort of the environment they were in. Other than that, I really cannot complain uh, you know, I, I think that this is definitely my favorite season since at least season 29, maybe even season 25, because between everything that happened, uh, you know, the entertaining cast, some really cool moments. I love that Tyler and Cora Uganda stuff, especially and especially the fact that it led to their four first places in a row, ending with something that is so heartwarming to an amazing race fan who's been there since the very beginning. I mean, I know an, an ending really influences the way we feel about a season, but I mean, I have high remarks for it right now. Yeah, I, I'm there too. I I think I, I can't argue with any of that. I think there's a few things I might have done differently if I was making the platonic ideal of seasons, but it's really hard to argue with a cast this entertaining and an outcome this satisfying and stories that everyone pretty much had a really compelling story at the end of it. Do we uh do we want to take one more temporary dip into the know it alternate universe? Do we really think Robin Steven would have made the finals? Oh <laughs> come on! <laughs> come people on. kept people kept saying that because we we missed last week by accident. People thought that we just assumed that Robin Steven got eliminated in Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! How dare you! No, no, we no way we made the finals. I mean, uh, the, who we're we're beating out uh, one of. Tyler and Corey, Colin and Christy, or the Afghanimals? Who's not here? <laughs> Who did we beat? Well, I guess I'll, I, what I'll ask is, uh, as Jess pointed out in the very beginning of this podcast, how do you think Steven would have reacted to these final couple of legs, especially getting to finally see Ernest Shackleton statue in all its glory. Uh, the Shackleton, <laughs> he would like the Shackleton statue. Yeah, no, he would have definitely gone for knowing over rowing. Uh, they don't call us the row it alls. So uh, <laughs> I think that that would have been an, that would have been an easy one. Uh, I think the code thing. I think he he actually would have uh, really liked that task. So I, I will give uh, he would have uh, taken it more seriously than even Leo did. <laughs> And then uh, running around the mall, I mean, just uh, Stephen and I recently were together in Philadelphia. We couldn't find the place that they told us to go to to eat breakfast. So I don't know how we would have done it, finding all of the place, all of the different artifacts and uh, scaling the building. I think I probably would have had to do. Oh, that. yeah, that, and, that's that's the biggest causer of CTE out of any task this season. So you better bet you're yeah. doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I don't know how Steven uh, would have been uh, with uh, putting the, the drum together in the noisy place. 
I, you're used to like putting equipment together, which isn't exactly yeah. a five hole, but I'd assume that you they would try to make you take the lead there. Be a little bit of a stretch to call that a five hole. Me putting drums together because I do a podcast, but uh, I guess both things make sound. <laughs> and who would be the better fowler? Uh, I think I would be a much better uh, uh, fowler. Uh, is it is it fowling or fowling? Uh, they both sound like things you do on the farm. Yeah. So um, I, I think that, you know, I, at least I, I know, you know, what it's supposed to look like to throw a football. <laughs> Not right. to say I could do it, but, you know. Oh, the shade. I, I, I mean, I watch it. I, uh, you know, uh, I've probably watched, you know, 10,000 more uh, minutes of uh, or 10,000 times more NFL than Steven has. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yes. So we can only imagine what did not come to pass here. Stephen and Rob cross the finish line in first place as Stephen promptly spanks Phil Kogan in victory. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, as a result, yeah, we were able redemption. to talk, we were able to talk with you got with you over the course of this podcast. So you know what? I, I was I was thrilled to to pick your brain about all this and to dip into an alternate universe as to what you and Stephen would have done had you actually made it around the world. Sure. I mean, I would have been happier if you guys had got on the race and like given me on air shout outs and given me a cut of the million dollars. But mm-hmm. I'll take this cliff hog. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. What are you going to do? Uh, we'd have to come up with something like because you did, we'd have to like uh, I have to like write your name on my arm or something like that with a marker. Oh, no, like, you would have had multiple confessionals citing the JL rules. OK, <laughs> or, uh, you know, I have to figure out something. Yeah, well, keep it in mind. I, I, I understand you, you're still in the casting pool for some season in the future. So when you get cast for Reality Throwdown 2, I want you to remember us. Okay. All right. It was such a hit. Maybe they will reach back out. I think so. It's like the missing ingredient. We've explored the Know It alternate universe. Mm-hmm. And we want to make it the real universe. Okay. All right. A- anything else on this uh, supersized recap of the two-hour finale? I think we had we spent two hours talking about the two hour finale, so I like the symmetry. Okay, yeah, and I All and right. I do I do believe in terms of season thirty two. I think CBS announced officially that it was mid season, so I think we might pencil it in to talk about Amazing Race thirty two regular back uh, in in winter, the January twenty twenty. Though of course that could always change depending on if CBS is programming, uh, depending on whether it sinks or floats or turns over like a, a skull in the middle of the water, but. I'm excited to see where it goes. I feel like the past seasons of Amazing Race have been good to great. And so I'm hopeful that we keep that streak up because I I love watching good Amazing Race happen. Okay. All right. So, Mike, anything else you want to tell people to check out before we sign off tonight? So I have been doing Exit Press with the final four teams. Uh, I believe the first three should be out by the time you guys are all listening to this. I'll be talking with Victor and Nicole at some point before the weekend starts and getting their thoughts on everything. Uh, I'll also be covering some Big Brother 21 as well. Uh, Josh Wiggler and I just released our first podcast covering Stranger Things Season 3, basically over the course of the month of July, uh, which should be a lot of fun as 
the new season debuts. New summer season, and I'm assuming it's going to bring a whole new season of monsters to it. Shannon Gates and I are covering Survivor South Africa. We're about a third of the way through the season, and it's been a blast so far. So be sure to listen to that if you're missing out on Survivor coverage, though. Survivor 39 is right around the corner, and I'm so excited to finally be able to report on the preseason coverage I was able to do to go out onto set. That should be coming in only a few months from now. So I'm super excited for everything that's coming down the line. You can always follow me at a Mike Bloom type for more updates. And I just want to thank you guys again for uh, having me be the co-camera uh, person, sound person that's monitoring the dynamic duo of the the Amazing Race team that is the two of you. I, it's, it's a show that I absolutely love, and I love it even more getting to talk with the two of you about it. So can't wait to do it again sometime in the future. Okay, Jess, how about you? Anything coming up? Um, well... Amazing Race is ending for the two of y'all, but it never stops for me. (laughs) Yes? So, next week, it snuck up on us, the premiere of Amazing Race Canada is almost almost upon us. And so, tomorrow night, I am switching gears very quickly. Tomorrow night, Dan Heaton and I are going to be convening for the first time this season to talk about the cast of Season 7 of Amazing Race Canada, do our draft pick our winners and then it starts up next week and we'll be here probably a couple of days after every episode airs because we have to fly to canada to watch it and Mm -hmm. we'll be breaking down everything that happens for you and mike you're welcome to drop by anytime if you don't have enough on your plate already i I Um, love i love going north for some tar cans so i'm all for it excellent we'll be happy to have you anytime eh and I am also writing some articles over on primetimer.com. Uh, I have one that dropped last night about uh, my favorite episode of the Hulu series Pen15, which uh, really should be getting an Emmy for best writing in a comedy series, but we'll see. It's going to be a stacked field this year, but uh, my breakdown of that episode is up there now, as well as uh, a listing of six foreign language sci-fi series that you can stream on Netflix that are all very intriguing, and that's kind of a lot of fun because you would not believe how much stuff is out there on Netflix. You're never going to get to watch it all in this lifetime, so <laughs> here's a few things, and um, based on your enjoyment of other series, there are there's something out there for you okay all right so we have uh still a lot of big brother to cover this summer we just got it started with our recaps of the first two episodes uh we'll be back live after each episode of big brother this summer and uh jess and mike i have some uh updates for you as we are recording this podcast brett labelle is texting me like hey when what what dates are good for you guys to to talk about the amazing race so we we will uh, have at least uh, at least one more Amazing Race 31 uh, podcast to do. Yeah, and I don't want to promise too much, but I think it's not going to be our only one. Okay, that's why I said at least. Yeah, so we're trying to get a couple of those in the can because, again, this cast was so much fun. I mean, thank you to some of the teams who have listened and supported us over the course of this season. It's It's surreal. Uh, to have you guys check out the content just because we enjoyed you so much. And thanks to everyone who listened, too, especially those who decided to check out The Amazing Race for the first time this season for whatever you know reason. It, it was a supreme amount of fun getting to listen to you guys sort of learn about the show, go through Amazing Race 101, and I'm hopeful that you guys stay through to 102. And finally, 
thanks to the patrons of Rob as a podcast who have supported us all season long to find out more about everything we're doing behind the scenes of Rob as a podcast access to our patron only podcast feed a uh, busy weekend of patron shows I've got a uh, patron Facebook Friday coming up on Friday we're gonna have the page the monthly patron cast here at the end of the month here on Sunday and then uh, I'll be back with a patron five for five I think uh, maybe on Monday night so I think that this is uh I think I'm going to have uh, three patron podcasts in four days, I think, coming up. So uh, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot coming up. Good, good, you know, good. Always a good time to jump in. All right. Thanks so much for Scott St. Pierre on the quick turnaround. And also thanks again to Scott to getting all of our exit interviews up over the uh, course of the day today. Summer of Stein coming up tomorrow. Also on uh, Robin Akiva uh, uh, dip into the crappy movie diaper to watch National Treasure and uh, another Talking with T-Bird is also uh, coming up soon not to mention uh, Sunday night we'll be back with more Big Brother 21. Take care everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.